Good morning. Uh, for whatever reason, we had a few very minor technical difficulties at the beginning, but now we are rocking and rolling. I see I've been joined by my first few guests. I believe I've been joined by a young man from Marion. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Who has joined me so far? Excellent. Thought so. And who else has hopped on with me? I think I have my first two guests already. Uh, yeah, you got Braden Loftus. I know there was at least one other person there. Well, now, I do have Braden. Okay, thought so. Okay, excellent. Well, let's begin with the beginning. Ah, yes, I know. Okay, so I'll start with you first. Since people don't give people from off, who play offensive line enough love, attention, or anything, really, so let's start with that. Um, go back to the very beginning for me and tell me what are your first athletic memories and who got you started? Was it a, a parent, sometimes you know, someone in the community, or uh, who got you started as an athlete and what was your first athletic endeavor? Uh, well, for me, it was my, um, my older cousin. He was about a – he started a year before me in football. And uh, just kind of really inspired me to get going and, you know, check out the game. And um, my first my first memory would be probably first grade year. Uh, I was playing basketball in sports. And uh, I had to play up a couple levels just because I was just a little more dominant than most players. So they played me up a couple divisions in, in the youth league I was playing in. Okay. Got it. Well, that's, you know, definitely a, a compliment, I guess, um, that, you know, I was not a kid that had to be bumped up any levels at all. So good for you. Uh, so you played basketball and football when you were a kid? Yeah, I started off with basketball. Okay. And then, Got it. Yeah. And, okay. And I, I believe I also have Braden with me as well, correct? Oh, sorry. That was that was. Do I still have Braden? Yeah, that was. Do I leave Braden? Yeah, I'm Lee still. Oh, okay. Well, Braden, that's fine. You're also good off with lineman too. <laughs> okay, then, then, I'll, then I'll be jumping back over to Lee. So, excuse me. Is Lee still with me? Yes, sir. Lee, Lee Burks. Well, okay. Same question to you. Um, who got you started, and what were your first sports that you played? Um, actually, my story is kind of similar to Braden's. Um, I started out playing basketball when I was five years old, and also I was bigger than everybody in my age my age group, so I had to get bumped up um, a year or two to play with those guys. And also, um, people realized like how big I was, so they recommended me playing football. So I originally didn't play football at first. Um, I played I played flag football, and then once I once I got older, around six or seven, I started playing. Um, tackle football. Okay, and what position did you play at first when you first started playing? Um, offensive line at first, and then they started to transition me from O line to D line. Oh. <clears throat> As you realize, um, offensive line was uh, okay. Was it? Okay, so they started even as a, even when you first started, they had you on the line. Yes. Okay. Okay. So at no point did you get to play. You know, did you be running back or quarterback or you you started out on the line? 
Well, for flag for, for flag football. Okay. Um, Got it. They really they really had me all over the place. I was playing. I got to run the ball <laughs> a few times here and there, but mainly I was primarily I was the offensive lineman from the start. Okay. Got it. I understand. Well, especially if you were probably, as you said, one of the biggest kids they had, I'm assuming. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to move, move back over to Braden. And you said that you also were the biggest kid or one of the biggest kids. When you did you also play any other positions or did they stick you on the line right away? Um, yeah, I played uh, on the line. In, in Utah, what they do is they have X-Men. So if you weigh above a certain weight, you have to play on the line. So I played both both sides of the line. Ah. Okay, I got it. Well, that's, don't take it the wrong way, but I feel like that's patently unfair. One of my favorite things, uh, well, it's not, it's not, it's not a good thing now. Not when I was a little kid, it was not my favorite thing when they let, you know, big kids, you know, Go around just flatten the little, the little kids. But it's entertaining to watch. It's not great for me. I was always a kid. You talk about the weight thing. Where I, where I was in North Carolina, you could play if you weigh at least tackle, if you play at least 50 pounds. I did not. So I had to bulk up. Well, bulk up is really the word, I guess, at that age. But I used to get the powdered mashed potatoes and just scoop them down, you know, and then drink water. I don't know why. My little, like, five-and-a-half-year-old mind made sense to, like, dump a bunch of powdered mashed potatoes down your gullet and then swallow water and then whatever. It, it works. I made 50 pounds, I guess. But, yes, it was an uncomfortable situation. It was not fun. Uh, I believe we've been joined by our guest. Who just hopped on with me? I'm sorry. This is, this is Lee Burst. I accidentally got cut off. I know I've got Lee and the Oh, okay. It's you, you back. Okay, got it. Yes, okay, yes. well, good. So okay. more offensive line love to be sold out to the two of you. Let's do it. Um, so because of sports, people let you know that size matters. You know what I mean? Like it, if you're a kid who's just sitting around the house all the time, maybe people don't tell you that. But you're now seeing, uh, Braden, that you are, the way the world sees you is being changed to some extent by your physical presence in the world. Um, now, some kids, it makes them self-conscious, and they, they get shyer, and some kids, it gives them confidence. For you, being made conscious of your size, did it help you when you were younger, or did it feel like, did it make you feel strange? Um, I, I, I think it helped me, and I, uh, I kind of used it to my advantage uh, with sports and all that. Um, it, it wasn't something I kind of shied away from. I, I kind of was proud of Okay, and and Lee, same question. Um, because once again, the fact that you're you're made to understand that you are seen as this different person in this different category because of your physical size, did that make you self conscious? Did it make you more? Conscious? How did it affect you growing up, being made to understand that you are a big kid as opposed to just a kid? Um, originally, well, at first, um, I didn't realize, like, to embrace my size, I, w I was jealous of the other kids because they were smaller, more athletic, and could run faster. But but now, but as I got older, I started to realize offensive linemen is a different position, and you have to embrace being big, embrace being large. 
and being the most physical position on the field. So once I got older, I just took that and embraced it. Mm-hmm. Right? You play one where you hit someone on every single play. And and some people, don't, I don't think, truly understand what kind of mindset. Because you don't get any breaks. You know, I played safety. There were some times when nothing was going on. You know, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm going to run I'm going to do my responsibility, but, you know, it's over there. I'm over here. You know, I'll keep an eye out, but, you know, nothing's going on. Uh, if you're a wide receiver, hey, sometimes the ball's going over there, or sometimes, you know, a lot of running blue. When I was growing up, it was football was run dominated in my day. Now, of course, it's very different now. I mean, the leading passer uh, in the history of my high school passed for 1,165 yards. It was a big deal that we had a 1,000 yard passer. <laughs> I know. There are kids that do that in like three games in high school nowadays. The game has changed so, so very much. Uh, okay, let's keep, plowing, keep chopping wood. So the offensive line, as you said, is a position. Uh, I'll go back to you for a second, Braden. The things I've noticed about offensive linemen, one is highly intelligent. I've never met an offensive lineman who wasn't super smart. Two, they seem to always, how do I put this, like almost like pack you know, like a pack, like, you almost, like when you see an offensive line by himself, he looks for the rest of his, his tribe, you know, like they always, they always seem to want to be around each other. Well, a lot of times, some other positions, they, they don't mind sort of getting the spotlight or being over here, but offensive linemen seem almost uncomfortable unless there's another offensive lineman around, you know, it's like they seem to want to travel as a, like I said, as sort of a pack or a herd. Is that, is that an accurate thing, or do you think that's a – Oh, no, definitely. We're definitely a unit up front. It's got to be five guys on the same page, working together with the same goal, the same mind, one body. It, it really is your, your collective up there. Those are the best lines, the ones that come together, the ones that can think the same, understand and react, basically as one massive football, you know, obstruction. Like, that's really what it is. I've noticed that offensive linemen, they go out and eat together. So I've even seen them double or triple or quadruple or whatever date. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, you guys really are into that together. <laughs> you, you're all going to go to uh, Red Lobster together. Okay, cool. Wow, I hope you warned them uh, that there's an offensive line meeting taking place at the restaurant. Uh, so that is something that's interesting. And, and here's what I've noticed is even fun, equally as funny. So when I go to the Senior Bowl or the NFLPA game or East West Shrine, like all the coaches will eat whatever, but the coaches who always eat together are offensive line coaches. There's the Steelers offensive line coach, the Saints offensive line coach, the Chiefs offensive line coach, the, the, the Oilers, I'm so old, the Titans offensive line coach, Chargers offensive line coach. It's hilarious to be like how offensive line coaches are like offensive line men. They, they eat together. They sit together. They're always you know, have a little inside offensive line jokes, probably about knocking somebody on their behind, whatever it is that offensive linemen talk about when they laugh. But, like, even coaches, even the coaches are still, I guess, offensive linemen in their heart and soul. Yeah, yeah. Once once you're in that... Uh, same question to you, Lee. Have you seen that same sort of... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah I see, I've seen it all the time. Um, even, like, high school... So now, 
Um, typically, you don't see that many offensive linemen by themselves mm-hmm. um, off the field. Um, I agree with Braden. Um, the, the more in sync the starting five are, or the more in sync the offensive linemen are, um, the better, the very um, camaraderie you'll see. And also, like it's it's good to get a, like a special relationship off the field, just to go just to go stronger. Okay, and I'll stick with you. You mentioned the sort of unit thing and and how sort of having one mind in all these five bodies so that you all see the same the game the same way and act together and work together. Um, when did you start to really study? I mean, obviously when you're a kid, you just go down playing. But since offensive line is such a mentally demanding position, when did you start to study it? When did it go from just being something you went out and did when on uh, you know when you went to practice or went to game to things you thought about even when you were not playing? And that's for you, Lee. Oh, um, really? Really, it started when I was in high school. Um, going into my freshman year, um, I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to um, play up on JV, and one of the varsity coaches told me, like, came to me and told me that, um, listen, like, this isn't like a like a, a boys' game anymore. This is a grown man's. This is a grown man's game. Once you get to JV and start to get to varsity, and you got to take it serious, and you got to get stronger in the weight room, watch film. Um, get better on your techniques, et cetera. So once I once he told me that, I started taking it to mind and actually started to get serious. And I took and also I took pride in getting bigger, getting stronger, and being the most physical player um, on the team. Okay, and uh, I'll bring it over to Braden. So. There's certain things that are, quote, unquote, natural, right? I mean, people who have never played the sport in their lives naturally know how to throw things. You naturally know how to run to a certain extent. There's nothing natural about playing offensive line. Like the things you do are not things that people instinctively can do. You can't just take somebody who's a great athlete, toss them on offensive line and say, go do, because they're going to get embarrassed. No matter how great an athlete they are, they're going to get embarrassed. Um, you can take a raw athlete, you know, off the track team and – Say, hey, um, go play cornerback. What do you mean by that? Well, with this guy, if you like over there with him, and if the ball comes, knock it away. And that guy, he's a good enough athlete. He might still get beaten sometimes, but he can, within a few minutes, kind of figure out what to do. And, you know, he might not get embarrassed. But you can't do that with offensive line. Same question for you. How did you – when did the, the, the switch flip? When you went from being a kid, just playing a kid's game and having a good time, just studying this craft of playing offensive line. Um, I'm going to have to say probably my, my – And that was for you, Bray. Okay. okay yeah. I'm going to have to say probably my freshman year of college. Uh, in high school, I was kind of mainly a D-line, so my focus was kind of there. But once I got to college, I started playing more offensive line. And uh, it really did take kind of a, a mental change. It took kind of – you had to be more willing to – to sacrifice kind of your whole body and kind of just everything. Like you don't really get the shine. So it's like, mm-hmm. 
you have to sacrifice. And it kind of took, once I did that and bought into the position, uh, that's when I started to kind of see it differently and, and kind of start to study it in a different, in a different way. Okay. And that's a great way to put it, sacrifice, right? I mean, that's sort of at the heart. If the offensive lineman had a credo, like if you guys had to take an oath to become an offensive line, lineman, I think sacrifice would pop up somewhere in the oath that you had to take, that you'd be willing to sacrifice your mind, your body, your soul, and your time for the success of the team and receive little or no success, little or no uh, attention yourself, right? That's I think that's it's probably the most selfless position in maybe all of sports. <laughs> like I can't think of a, a correlation in another sport to it. Other than maybe goalie. I mean, even you know, even Ben Wallace. Yeah, right. Maybe goalie. Right. Maybe. Right, there you go. And here's the funny thing, right? A lot of guys that I knew that played offensive line, if they played hockey, like if, you lived, if they're kids from like uh, Massachusetts or Rhode Island or whatever, like up north, a lot of the kids that play goalie are like centers or offensive guards in football. Like it's often yeah. the same kid. So it's funny yeah. that you should mention goalie. Um, got it. Obviously, soccer goalies are smaller guys usually, but hockey goalies are sometimes smaller, but sometimes bigger. Uh, okay, I'm going to stick with you for, for a moment. I'll stay with you, Braden, and then I'll jump back over to Lee. Tell me about where you grew up uh, and sort of the athletic map, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I grew up in the Tidewater part of Virginia, so that's the home port of the Atlantic Fleet. It's a resort area. I grew up in Virginia Beach, uh, but it's a football-crazy part of the country, and a lot of really good players have come from the area where I'm from. Um, I watched Mike Tomlin when he was a youngster. I'm older than he is. So I watched Mike Tomlin, I watched Darren Sharper, I watched the Vic brothers, Marcus and Michael, I watched Aaron Brooks, I watched Alan Iverson, who was one of the greatest football players, high school footballers I've ever seen. Most of you know him, I was for basketball. But he was the, he took a, a so-so, I would say, a so-so Bethel High School to a national, not national, sorry, to a state championship in, um, in high school football. And he was electric as a football player. I mean, I would compare him to Deshaun Jackson. Only played quarterback. He was a quarterback, but he was very physically similar to Deshaun Jackson as a football player. Um, I watched Bruce Smith, who was a couple years older than me. I watched him when he was at uh, Booker T. Washington High School. I watched Lawrence Taylor. Two of my cousins, uh, Tori and Thomas Johnson, were both football and basketball teammates of LTs at Lafayette High School in, um, in Williamsburg, Virginia. So the Tidewater area is not a huge area. It's not like New York or Los Angeles or even Houston, Texas or something. But from that area that I'm from, there's loads of football players, and we take a lot of pride in our football, partially because we're not Florida or Texas or California. People don't talk about us a lot on national recruiting shows. But Virginia Tech built its success on Tidewater talent. Uh, that's, and we're sort of, you know, prideful, I guess, is what I would say, of our little area and everything like that. Tell me about where you grew up and the sort of athletic map, and maybe if there were other athletes in the area who, who grew up around you. All right. Well, coming up, um, we moved around a lot. So I, I was able to experience a lot of different styles of football. Uh, some of my best memories out of Arkansas, played in Little Rock for a little bit. Uh, there were guys around us like Mike Dyer. Uh, he went to Auburn and eventually played for the Raiders. Uh, Darren McFadden hmm. and his brother just coming up. And uh, right, 
it was just cool seeing those guys. Oh. And then when I moved back to Utah, um, there were guys coming out, Harvey Lange and then the, the Kruger brothers. Uh, so Utah was, wasn't really on the map just yet. Uh, this was back oh. before they were in the Pac-12. So they were just enough as, as I was living. So. Right. Yeah, those are two very different football cultures, right? Arkansas, <laughs> um, right? And then, I mean, it's hard to think of two states that are less like each other than Arkansas and Utah. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously, Arkansas is part of the Old South. Um, a lot of great football players that have come from Arkansas for 60 years. I mean, you know, there was a, I mean, Frank Broyles built a unstoppable killing machine at one point at Arkansas, and Lou Holtz had a fair amount of success there later on. So, yes, we won't talk about Arkansas football since the 50s, at least, if not before. And then Utah, as you said, right, was a state that really wasn't known for football until Lavelle Edwards started to build BYU up. And still, even then, nobody really talked about Utah, despite the coach McBride, who was a Hall of Fame coach, won 215 games at Utah, quietly, won 215 games at Utah, um, and no one seemed to really, really notice. And they've had a lot of success even since then as well. And I think, right, thanks to being in a different conference and being on television more, and well, everybody's on television more than when I was growing up. You know, you might get two or three games a week when I was a kid. And I'm old enough to remember when they would have uh, boiled down uh, – uh, what do they call that, uh, rebroadcast of games. So, like, there was a package where I'd get to see Grambling games and Notre Dame games. This is, once again, before everybody had all these live games you have nowadays. So when I was a kid, you'd get up on Saturday morning, run downstairs before you went to go do whatever you had to do, and there would be, like, uh, Eddie Robinson would come on with whoever the co-host was, and it would be, like, the Grambling game of the week. It would be a Notre Dame game of the week. Then you would get a live game, um, usually somebody like Notre Dame or Texas or, you know, a couple of big national powerhouses. And then it would be another game after that. And then you get – there were no night games, really, to speak of, except bowl games when I was growing up. You guys are lucky. Like, there's Thursday night, Tuesday night, all these night games. <laughs> like, you got college football was a treat when I grew up because there was only a couple of games, and there were, you didn't see anybody who wasn't a big-time powerhouse. There's always – Big Ten, the old Southwest Conference, which was Texas and, you know, Oklahoma and Arkansas and Texas Tech, Texas A&M and Baylor and, uh, was it Rice? Forgetting somebody. Houston? One of those. But, yeah, so the old, there's a bunch of Texas schools and then Arkansas and Utah. I mean, I'm sorry, Oklahoma wasn't in it. Was, they were in the um, Big Eight is what it was in those days. Uh, before it was the big, the big 12, and then the Pac-8, which later became the Pac-10, and then eventually became the Pac-12. But, yeah, it was very different, very different. I mean, and in those days, when, even when you're watching the Pacific Coast team, you only got to see two teams, UCLA or, or, or USC, basically. Uh, Stanford every once in a while pop up, but it was no different. Like, you might see – I was a big-time college football fan, but you might see maybe 15 different teams. Live, at least. Like, usually, you, you know, highlights or rebroadcasts of other teams. But you really saw that many teams in a year. <laughs> like, bowl games made you made it possible to see it, but they don't have any bowls as they have now either. But let's move forward. So I'm going to talk back to you for a moment, Braden. Um, tell me about – you mentioned the weight room and you mentioned the film room. And 
though you guys might not get to shine on the field, that's a place where offensive linemen often shine, is the weight room and the film room. One, because, once again, high football IQ. And two, I mean, if there's a time to be a big fella, it's in the weight room. Tell me about who was it that helped to shape you as a film student, a student of the game, and then who helped to shape you as a student of your, your body, for like we're putting it in the film room, I mean, the um, weight room. Uh, who helped you to become a real student in those two areas, the film and the weight room? And this was for Braden, right? That was for Braden, yes. Right. So, yes, Braden and then Lee answered the same question afterwards. But, yes, uh, for you, Braden, yes. Okay. So, um, I would have to say um, a coach that really came to mind as the coach, his name is Avon Rooks. Um, he was my strength coordinator at my um, junior college, and he really just uh, helped me understand just how crucial it was to, to, put, to be as strong and, and develop as good as a base foundation in the weight room as you can. And, and he, he kind of explained and showed me how it directly translates onto the field for the offensive line position more than any other position. Um, so he really kind of just ingrained that passion for the weight room and, and really just helped me kind of understand the, the technique part of lifting and, and how that transfers over. Um, as far as film goes, I've always been a real big film guy. Uh, I kind of just have always loved being in the film room. A coach that really kind of was on me about film um, and just helped me understand a little how to watch it differently would be a coach named uh, Dwayne Thompson um, in, in Arizona. Uh, he he just helped me, like, kind of I was focused on some things, and he kind of pointed out that, there are other parts of the film that you should be watching that will benefit you and just kind of help me see it from a bigger point of view. Hmm. Okay. Same question for you, Lee. When, uh, who was it or how was it that you came to really become a student of film, obviously, in terms of what it could do for you and then understanding what the weight room could do for you? Who helped you to, to become more efficient and more effective in those two areas? So from the film aspect, um, I started in high school. I, and really, really, I, I, I watched film a little bit in high school, but didn't truly understand, like, how to watch film, you know? So when I got to college, um, my, my former offensive line coach, um, BJ Code, um, he really showed me how to watch film and break down um, film, not just from – my standpoint, but from a whole scheme and how we can run plays better, um, what could have done better on this play, et cetera. And it's really helped me out to become a better um, student of the game. As far as as far as far uh, being, uh, being in better shape, getting stronger in the weight room and, and all that, um, Jaquila Sutton comes to mind. He was my high school strength and conditioning coach. At Pike High School, um, he's, I believe he's still there now. Um, he really showed me how to become a better athlete, and also he taught me like it's not all about the number, it's not about, all about lifting the heaviest in the weight room. It's about technique as well, because um, first of all, you, he's really big in safety, being safe in the weight room, and he doesn't want to getting hurt. And also, like Braden said, he really showed us how to translate 
now like the movements from the weight room onto the football field. So, so yeah, he's really helped me become a better um, athlete in that. Excellent. Now I'll stick with you. Sticking with your your high school memories, there's always teams that you. I mean, you want to beat everybody. I mean, you want to win every game. But there's some teams you enjoy beating a little more than others. For us, it was Kentsville High School. Kentsville always thought that they were better than us in every kind of way. They thought their girls were prettier. They thought their food was better. They thought their campus was nicer. They thought everything at Kentsville was just better than everybody else. And it just, ugh. And we had never, we were a newer school. We had never beaten them. The history of our school, we had never beaten Kentsville. And then finally in 1986, I think it was, um, Years, years. Uh, we finally beat them on the last play of the game on a trick play. That was a special K play. Our backup quarterback was a kid named Keith Gilchrist, who was a wide receiver, but also, like I said, was no, um, our, our number two quarterback on the depth chart. And our quarterback dropped back, throws, you know, right down the line. It's a lateral pass, but, you know, we all react like it's a forward pass. Everybody's like, ah, you know. You know, everybody drops their shoulders, kicks the ground. You know, some acting was required. And uh, the defense relaxes. Keith snatches the ball up, throws it as far as he can down the field to Maury Terrell, our best wide receiver, who lays out. It's beautiful. It was, it was, in, it was in the newspaper. It's gorgeous. Lays out. He's perpendicular to the ground, snatches the ball out of the air, lands, touchdown, we win. We're losing our minds. We're storming the field. We're throwing our equipment. And they're throwing their equipment, too, but for a different reason. The coach, who is a legendary guy named Ralph Kahagan, is a big man, an older gentleman. I never saw a move like that. He's sprinting towards the officials and saying things that you probably shouldn't say to people. And, you know, you know but it's a crazy, crazy scene. And, you know, the best athletic memory of my life. You know, I, like, that's, that's as good as it gets. We finally beat Kempsville High School. And they had a couple of high school Americans, a kid named Tim Freeman, who went on to Penn State, where he was, like, I think, second-team all-conference. D.J. Dozier, who was an all-American running back at Penn State. It was just such a thrill to beat that team. Uh, who are the teams, and I'll stick with you for the moment, that you guys really wanted to beat, like, really wanted to beat? Oh, okay, um... So in Indianapolis, um, the the main like conference is the MIC conference, the Metropolitan Interscholastic um, Conference. It's yep. like it's one of the most it's the, one of the most competitive. That's what Ben Davis High School is right? Yes, correct. And um, at Pike High School, you know, Washington. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. In the host of Indiana, um, no one really liked like Carmel. High school, Center Grove, because they're so good and they will win everything pretty much. But coming from a coming from Pike High School, our biggest rival per se will be Ben Davis. Um, um, us and Ben Davis we're come from the same side of the city of Indianapolis, the west side of Indianapolis. Um, we just grew, we just grew and didn't like each other. We grew and didn't like each other. Um, I think for, my favorite memory. From that was being them my senior year, um, in the regular season, um, we ended up winning by three, I believe, and it was our first time being Ben Davis in the regular season since, since like 1970 something. 
um, it was a it was a good it was a good experience. It's one of the best football memories I've ever had. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a pretty big memory for me. Yeah, that that seems like a winner. Okay, excellent. Uh, I'm going to move back over to Mr. Fox. So, same question for you, Braden. Uh, what was the team, or if there's multiples, uh, you could pick a couple. But who were the? If there was a team or teams that was particularly thrilling, exciting, satisfying to put an L on, who were the teams you most wanted to beat, and why? Uh, well, the team that comes to mind for me would have to be a school called Bingham High School. Uh, that's located in South Jordan, Utah, Salt Lake City Valley. Um, Bingham High School is kind of like Utah's biggest football mm -hmm. school, so everyone in the in the state wanted to beat them. They were just they were pretty uh, unbeatable, actually. So they were kind of the ones that you got excited for every year because. You know, you you were playing against the best that Utah really had to offer, and you kind of got to test your skills along with him, kind of how you compare, and that was that was really the more exciting. We never won, but <laughs> uh, it was uh, definitely one of the best games that I, I looked forward to uh, in my football high school. Okay. Well, I'm going to stick with you, so I have a follow-up question. Tell me about your recruiting process. When did you first start to hear from schools, and who are some of the schools that are most interested in the early part of your recruitment, and how did you navigate it? Some people have, you know, coaches or family members who help them, or some people have to figure it out on their own. How did it go with you? Uh, yeah, so um, out of high school, I was uh, – I wasn't able to play directly after high school, so uh, I ended up having to kind of research on my own and, and find teams that were uh, kind of taking walk-on positions. So uh, I ended up walking onto a junior college and and uh, earning a scholarship and ended up playing my up to the junior college level. Uh, once I got uh, to my second year of junior college and other schools started coming in to recruit me for the university levels, uh, it was it was a pretty pretty stressful time just because you're just not really sure what the best move is for you and and where where would be the most beneficial place for you and the school like you want to kind of pick the right spot. Uh, so the recruitment process was very high stress and um, just definitely uncertain. And uh, when I did pick my team, it was big relief and I was very grateful for the opportunity and. Uh, it's just it felt like I had uh, all my hard work come true. I will say that's one heck of a story. Um, I've known lots of young men that have ended up having to go the junior college route, but most of them didn't have to, you know, just find the school. <laughs> like that's interesting. Uh, usually, there's somebody, whether it be a coach. Or somebody sort of directs them, oh, you know, an old teammate of mine is, you know, coaching at Snow Junior College, or, you know, I have a buddy who's at San Jacinto, or I know someone at Navarro. But you, you just literally just got out your computer and started looking at junior colleges and tried to figure out sort of what their roster situation was. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so I would look and see kind of where I would fit best. Um, 
and then uh, I'd reach out to their coaches, and it, I got a couple invites to come basically walk on, and so I took, you know, 500 bucks, and I and I left. That's a heck of a story. <laughs> it really is. That is a heck of a story. Well, what? Yeah, yeah. Betting on yourself, right? As the old saying, you bet on yourself, and it turned out. Uh, what was it about that particular program that stood out to you? The one you finally decided was this is the place I'm going. I'm going here. Out of all the junior colleges, and of course, that's funny because it's very regional. Like Utah has a lot of good um, JC football. Arizona has a few good ones. Texas is chock full of them. Kansas, for some reason, has a ludicrous number of really good uh, JC programs. Mississippi has several. But some states where there's basically no junior college football to speak of. My state of Virginia, there's almost no junior college football uh, where I grew up. Illinois has almost none. Uh, like, it's funny. I've started to certain places. I mean, Ohio doesn't have a lot of junior college football. It's usually only certain parts of the country. Uh, but how did you, what was it about the one that you decided, you found and said, okay, this is the place to me? Uh, well, after all my research, uh, looking into the junior college programs and, and just uh, looking at all the countries, uh, I, I, I settled on Arizona because they, within the Phoenix Valley, they had six or seven JUCOs uh, alone that had football programs. So I just figured that that would have been yes. the best chance for me to kind of get into a program because there's just so many opportunities within that valley. Um, you did mention Snow College, and, and I did consider Snow College for a little bit. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to get into a bigger environment, a bigger city. I just felt like the opportunities would have been better. So uh, Phoenix was kind of where I was headed, mm -hmm. and, and it worked out the best. I, I once again hats off to you. Um, it's it's not every eighteen year old, you know, who just says I'm going to take five hundred bucks. I'm going to go off to this place I've never seen before with my own two eyes and go make my life. So we will definitely talk a little bit more about the JC experience. I, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans, have a good knowledge of high school football and even a very good knowledge of college, university, four year football. A lot of them don't understand how different and how hectic and how demanding and stressful and everything that junior college football is. So we'll come back to that. So hang out for me, and I'll jump back over uh, to ask some more questions for Lee. Tell me about your recruitment process. When did it begin, and how did you navigate it, and which schools were in on you first? So for me, um, through high school, I really didn't have – that many, I wasn't like a really high recruit on a lot of people's list. Um, I did get, ended up getting uh, my first scholarship offer for like at the end of my junior year to Indiana State to play football. And I was ecstatic about, I was ecstatic about it and couldn't okay. believe it. But I wanted to be patient and wait to see like if I got that offer, would any more come in? And, um, Senior season came around towards the end of the season. No one really else came around. So <clears throat> so I really wanted to commit. And when I tried to commit to them, um, they had unfortunately ran out of space on the, on the, on the roster to offer more, offer more money. 
So at that point, in my senior season, didn't have didn't really have a scholarship, um, and signing day was coming up in February. So I was kind of stressed out. The process of looking for schools was very tedious. Um, so I think I believe in January, um, Marion University came by my school. Um, very is very close, about ten minutes away from each other. Um, and I knew I knew about Marion because my mother graduated from Marion University, but they didn't have a football program at the time. Um, but they they came around. They talked to me, and they talked about joining a winning program, and it sounded very interesting. Um, also, I was just blessed to have an opportunity to to get a scholarship from them. Um, and once I got one from them, St. Francis came along to match the offer. Um, St. Francis is out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I, from what I've heard from Marion, they said that um, Marion and Fort Wayne were, like, big rivals. So really, those were my two scholarship offers um, in the recruiting process. And I ended up choosing Marion because um, the reason why I chose Marion was based off of the previous season. They had just came off of a national championship um, title. And year before that, they also went to the national championship, but they ended up losing. So from what I've heard, Marion's a very, very prominent program in the NAIA division. And I just want to be a part of a culture that's all about um, yep. team and winning. So that's why I chose Marion University. And plus, it's also a great opportunity because it was close to home. Like I, like I said, Marion is about um, Marion's campus is about seven minutes from where I grew up. So not much traveling for me. And also, it's in the city of Indianapolis, so pretty much everything's around me. No. So when you first started hearing from them, was Krishan Hogan still there? Yes, Krishan Hogan. Um, Krishan Hogan, when I got there, was a senior my freshman year. Krishan Hogan, he's a, he's a very great, a very great guy, right. very great guy to be okay. around. So you guys did. Yeah. I thought you might have done. Yeah. 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 Great young man and a terrific football player. Um, so, yeah, got it. Interesting. Uh, I'll stick with you for the moment. So usually when you – I don't care if it's NAIA, Division Three, Division Two, if it's FCS, FBS, I don't care what level, Power Five, when you make the transition from high school to college, it is – it's the difference, you know, things change. So I want you to tell me a little bit about your, what I call your welcome to college football moment. And some, for some guys, it's before practice even begin, or some guys, it's once practice begins. Some guys, it's not until they get into their first game, but there's always some moment, something that wakes you up to the fact that you're not in high school anymore, and that this is a different kind of situation, different kind of football, different kind of football player, different kind of everything. What was your welcome to college football moment when you got to Marion? So for me, my welcome to football college moment at Marion was actually the very first day of camp. I should know, the moving day of camp. So once we got everything moved in, all the players got everything moved in, our parents left, um, we had our first meeting. And that's when I realized, like, oh, crap, this is going to be a very, very long year for me. Um, I wasn't used to meetings being long in high school, uh, typically around an hour, hour and a half. But being an office of, but being an office of lineman, um, 
meetings will be meetings will last for about like three hours, four hours at a time during camp season, and I, that's why I realized it's time to flip the gear, time to lock in, um, and time to take everything serious, more serious. And yeah, it was very. It's the the mental process was a lot to handle, but it took time for me to get used to, and finally got the hang of it. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I will uh, same question, and I'll, I'll move it back over to Braden. So, Braden, I guess you have two. I guess for you, you have one at the junior college level, and you can tell me about the one when you got to the university level. So we'll start with your first sort of welcome to JC. And, of course, that's a – we will talk about that in a second, but that's a world all unto itself. What was your first, you know, wake up and welcome to? And then we'll talk about your one when you got to the four years. All right. So at my junior college, I would say my, my welcome to football moment would be um, – it, it started in the first uh, – I would say just – physical level that, that it requires to play college football, uh, starting from the conditioning in the summer, the, all of that, just it was a completely step up compared to what I had been doing in high school. And so I'm going to have to say it was probably the, the conditioning test and, and uh, summer conditioning that kind of let me know that this is going to require a, a next level state of kind of effort. Um, yeah, got that it. Would be my, that'd be got my it. I can understand how sometimes even as you said, just like, yep. yep, keep going. And then when you got to your four year, what was the sort of thing that let you know this is once again different from what you've been doing before? Um, with that one, I would have to say uh, when I when I got my playbook, uh, that would be kind of what kind of set the difference between what I was doing before because you could almost, you know, have all the plays on just like, and, and it would be just like half the folder. But when I got to my next school, it was a huge binder and there was just all kinds of new terminology and all kinds of different um, formations and things that like it would break down into detail. And so that was kind of the moment I realized that this was a step even above junior college was, the organization of the, the strategic side of the game. Okay, got it. Um, and I think is that Darius or is that Brandy? Who just who just joined us? Oh, Brandy, Brandy Holmes. Somebody just joined me. Okay, got it. Okay, okay, got it. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining. Us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure is mine. So we have a we now have you know a, a slightly smaller individual joining a, a, a really good uh, chance to celebrate offensive line. And I think that's probably Darius who just joined as well. Is that is that Darius who just hopped on? Uh yeah. Okay. okay, got it. So I'm going to hop back over to my first two guests, but you guys hang out, and I will be with you momentarily.
So I'm going to start with the travels up the depth chart. So I'll, I'll go back to you for a moment, Braden. Tell me about when you first got to campus uh, this, at the collegiate level. Uh, where were you on the depth chart, and how long did it take you to actually see some time, some playing time? Um, when I first showed up to my, my school, I was, I believe I was second on the depth chart, and I was actually playing, um, I was second on the depth chart in a different position than I ended up starting at. Uh, so by the end of camp, they eventually moved me over to this uh, other position, on the, and it was on the D-line. And um, th that's kind of after I got moved there uh, from the start of the season, that's kind of where I started at. So uh, it took from just basically fall camp to earn my, my starting spot. Okay, got it. And the same question for you, Lee. Where were you on the depth chart when you first got to campus, and how long did it take you to get yourself into a place where you started playing? So at Marion, um, my first got to Marion, the depth chart was pretty lengthy. There's a lot of there were a lot of players there before before my recruiting class came in. So when I got there, I was uh, third on the depth chart at a position that I wasn't used to playing. Um, in high school, I wasn't playing. In high school, I was playing tackle. My whole career, but when I got to Marion, um, I learned that you can't just play one position. You have to be multiple, and you have to be an offensive lineman, not just a, a tackle or just a guard or a center. So when I got there, I was a third-string guard, right guard, and it took me a while to climb the, 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 the depth charts. So And also, there were very good, talented players in front of me, so I knew I wasn't was going to be um, quick mean the climate depth chart and eventually I got to the two deep the travel the travel spots and really I got I really didn't get a starting spot until my junior year um second game of the season okay got it understood uh, I'm going to have a the first couple of introductory questions for, for both uh, Brandy and Darius, and I'll start with you, Brandy. Tell me a little bit about your earliest introduction to athletics. Uh, was it something that your, you know, your mom or your dad or you know an older relative or a, you know maybe another kid in the neighborhood who was it that you started playing sports, and what sport did you play initially? Um, football was the sport I always played. Um, I started playing when I was eight, but my older brother played, so it was just something that I always saw him do. And I was like, and then my, my two cousins, one, one that's older than me, well, the other one, two of them are older than me, but one is like a week older than me. But I always watched them play like Pop Warner, and I used to always like, when they used to ask me to play, I used to be like, no, like, I'll, I'll just watch, I'll just watch. And then one year, I was just like, when I turned eight, I was finally, like, convinced. Like, I was like, yeah, I'll try it. And I hated it at first. Like, my first year, I hated football. Like, I wasn't used to getting hit and stuff like that. And then, like, that, that it just took, like, one day in practice. Like, I was like, okay, yeah, like, I like it now. Like, this is what I want to do. So, I began to 
have fun and stuff like that. Okay. okay. And same question for you, Darius. Um, how did you get started? Who started you? And what sport did you play? Uh, so I, I guess I have a uh, similar type of story. Um, my dad, he, he was able to uh, play football collegially. I mean, it was kind of back in the day, and it was uh, at a small, I think, D2 college. So, I mean, nothing too extreme, but he was someone who loves football. And, I mean, like, one of you can easily see, like, a bunch of my baby pictures I had, like, a little stuffed football uh, right by me in the crib or just kind of just me throwing it around the house and just, like, having fun with it. So also I had an older brother who um, was in a pop owner when I was finally like in around the age to be able to like play. So my first time stepping on into the field was when I was four years old. I did four or five. I did a flag football and like the little YMCA thing um, when I was a little kid, and um, I just I just fell in love with it. Um, I mean I ended up uh, probably around like six or seven. I picked up two other sports. So play the trifecta football, basketball, baseball, um, and uh, definitely liked them all. And um, was very good talent along with Essex sports, but uh, at the end of the day, I definitely fell in love with football, and that's um, always been a big passion of mine. and I love the joke. Hey, got it, got it. It's funny how different the stories are. So I had two offensive linemen. And I have two, you know, guys that play more, I guess, speed and agility type base positions. To hear how they they first get introduced to the game, and then how they, you know, like obviously when you have future offensive linemen, they're these are kids that they send to go play with older kids. Like, okay, you can't play with kids your age. So find those kids two years older and play against them, and it's very different. Like, you know, I, we have we heard when Brandy said, "I wasn't too wild about getting hit." Well, obviously, I guess for the bigger kids, that's maybe their favorite part is the hitting. So it's interesting to see how people find their way into the game. I'm going to go back to my, my first two guys and ask them a few more questions. So thank you um, for your patience, and I'll be back to you in a few moments, young man. So I'm going to swing back to you, Lee. As you mentioned, Marion had had a very nice little run when you got there. Uh, tell me about the football culture and the coaching staff there at Marion. And tell me about your rivals. You mentioned one of them already, I guess. But tell me about some of the, the games you got especially excited about when you got to Marion. Um, so when I got to Marion, the culture there was was all about um, being one team, and we have like a we have like a saying. Um, our two our two top things for us were to protect each other, like protect the to protect the shield. And to love football, and that's all we did when we got there. And that's when I realized um, the culture there was was the one for me. And the coaches very competitive, players very competitive, and that's the type of culture I want to be around. And when we got there, why I got there, um, like you said, like I said earlier, St. Francis was the one team that we didn't talk about because we didn't like them that much more than the rest, and that's a team we would pretty much circle get, and get prepared for every single year. Um, but, at the same, but at the same time, we had, to, we had to be prepared to play one game at a time, one week at a time, so we couldn't just look ahead and get too anxious for the game, for St. Francis.
Okay. And I guess this is essentially, a, I guess, a double-barreled question once again when I come back uh, to, you know, find out sort of what your story was, Braden, because you, once again, obviously very competitive junior college uh, experience, and then, of course, you, you get to East New Mexico. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about uh, how it is you decided on your four-year institution and once again, what the culture was like there and, and who you looked forward to being once you got to your four-year institution. All right. So when it came to deciding where to go play in my four-year, I was looking for the best competition possible. Um, I didn't have any more of my D1 clocks, so I knew I would have to go to a lower-level school. So I just I wanted to go to the best possible conference available so that I could make sure that I was playing against the best competition. Uh, so that's why I ended up where I'm at. Uh, Eastern New Mexico plays in the Lone Star Conference, which is one of the best conferences in Division Two. So I just I knew that by signing here, I would be playing against some of the top players in the nation um, this season. So that was pretty much what helped me decide um, what to, why to come here. And, and the culture here was, it was very blue-collar, very workhorse. Uh, you got to fight for every scrap type. Um, I, I really enjoyed kind of just the, the, the workman's part of it and and the blue-collared mentality that they had here. made mention of your very, very competitive conference, which I – if I remember correctly, there's been a couple of championships in the past years that have come out of that conference, and even when, when the champion didn't come out of your conference, the champion, usually the, one of your teams from your conference tends to finally lead to the championship game, it seems like. Um, tell me about that, because I guess, if I remember correctly, you, play, you probably face teams like, what, uh, uh, A&M Commerce, I think you, Angelo State, um, uh, what, Abilene Christian, I believe, as well? Um, yeah, we, we play Commerce, uh, Texas Commerce. We play Tarleton State. They're uh, pretty pretty powerful right now. Uh, we play against Midwestern, which is a, a long-time, very historic program in D2. Uh, we played against Angelo State, as you said. Um, and then we play West Texas A&M, which is, again, a very historic school in, in Division II. Uh, I, I think in all there's nine, nine total – uh, D2 programs that are located in Texas in that in that conference. And obviously you want to beat everybody in your conference, but were there programs or, or teams or even players that you particularly look forward to facing? And if so, why? You know, who were the ones that were the ones you got most excited about? So our, our rivalry game here was uh, against West Texas A&M. Um, it, it's a, a game called the Wagon Wheel Game. They, there's a trophy, a traveling trophy that we battle for. And uh, I would have to say that that's the game that we gear up for, for the most in the year. Uh, that, that would be kind of our, our game that we look forward to and, and the one that I guess we would get the most support from, from the town and, and just the communities. And it, it's kind of a big deal in this area the of the country. Mm -hmm. 
Got it. Um, I'm going to jump back to Mr. Holmes. Uh, so when you first started playing, Brandy, what position did you play when you first started playing football? You still there, Brandy? Oh, hold on. No problem with your mic. Okay, that's not you. That's me. Hold on. Let me see if I can figure this out. Give me a second. Give me a second. I think we were having a little problem with your mic. So I'm going to retry. Okay, I'm going to ask you the same question. Now um, I think you'll be able me? to be heard. Okay. Um, when you first started playing ball, what position did you play in Andy? My first position I played. Yeah. What position were you playing at first? I played tight end my first year. And then uh, my second year is when I moved to receiver. I played receiver and free safety. And then from there on, like, I always played receiver and, like, something defensively. Whether it was receiver and safety receiver and corner, receiver and linebacker. So receiver was, like, always there. That was just something I always – receiver was something I always did. So, like, when I actually went to college, I just chose receiver because that was what I was, like, the most comfortable with. Got it. And same question for you, Mr. Wade. When you first started playing the game, what position did you play initially? Well, unfortunately, growing up, I was always uh, one of the bigger kids. I was always kind of on the taller side, and I was always like one pound under the weight limit. So, coaches like to try to put me on the line. You know, I definitely did not like that. Um, so, I was not really a big kid at blocking. So, I made sure to get myself from that position. So, early on, I played things like tight end. Um, I was like a defensive end, you know, things of that nature. Um, but as I started to grow up and um, start to develop a little bit more, then I got put to some more skilled positions. So for most of the pop more, I was a running back and a linebacker. Um, and then I just there was a lot of politics on uh, my youth league, so it's a lot of coaches' sons. And um, no many youth leagues, coaches' sons always play quarterback, so that kind of took that off the table for me. So it wasn't until my eighth grade year that I was fortunate enough to actually finally play the position. Um, I did it one year, then went to high school and ended up uh, starting out as a freshman and played all four years and then ended up, you know, be a scholarship athlete, so it all worked out again. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. That uh, there are certain positions that are, are sort of reserved, I guess, for the sons of coaches. Uh, that's what I guess you just deal with. I guess it just happens, and I guess you just find a way to fight through it. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with playing offensive line or defensive line, as I, I hope you understand. That's very important. It obviously, may not be quite as sexy with some of the other things that, that you might get a chance to do on a football field, but... Every team that has ever won a game in the history of the, of the, of the game that's, you know, hundreds, now over 100 years old, you have to have offensive and defensive line players who will play at a high level or you don't get to win, no matter what else you've got. I don't care if you've got 
you know, if you're, I don't care if your quarterback room has Tom Brady and Joe Montana and Pat Mahomes all in it at the same time. You can't win if you don't have line. This is true. <laughs> I'm going to move back over to uh, to Brayden since we are giving some love to the offensive line. So, Brayden, tell me a little bit about the things that change for you mentally and physically, right? So we talked about that. Like the middle, you mentioned how the, the, the playbook was so different when you made the jump up to play – you know, four-year at a future four-year college institution, and then tell me physically about the things that changed. Uh, what did you have to do when you made the jump from junior college to your four-year to get physically prepared for it as well? All right. So when I um, when I went to my next school out of junior college, uh, I actually ended up playing in a different style of offense. Uh, it, was, it was a triple offense, so it's a much more demanding style of play on the offensive line, very physical, uh, hand in the ground, every play, firing out. It's it's very, very hard on the body. So uh, I kind of just had to get used to that style of play again. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit older style of play. Uh, so it's just the constant repetition of just every play, firing out basically like you're doing the Oklahoma drill, um, just kind of getting back used to that style of football. It's, it's funny that you you, mentioned, you made mention of the term older style of play, and that's one of these that comes to mind because, of course, for me, that was football. You know, when it was coming up, that's what you did. Uh, you know, the game was two-thirds run, you know, 30, you know, 30 bob and, you know, all these iso runs and sweeps and, you know, power traps and all that. And that was the game like, that I grew up with. I mean, you know, we threw the ball when we had to uh, when I was coming up. And now, you know, you said the game has changed. I'm going to uh, jump back over from um, from you back to Lee. Tell me about the offense that you guys ran and what were the things you were asked to do in your offense? So, so the type of offense we ran was similar to the one we ran in high school, I um, formation. And so, really, it wasn't that much for me to, to get adjusted to, as far as the as far as the offense. For me, it's just um, like learning the plays was the most difficult thing to do for me. And like like reading like learning a new playbook was very strenuous, and having to learn in and out on what plays to run here and there um, it was very tough for me. But for me, my coach at the time, BJ Code. Um, required me to lose weight to play because for 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 our, for our offensive line, um, we prefer us being lighter, more athletic, more agile, and I wasn't used to being um, playing light per se. Because in high school, I was never the um, I was never the biggest lineman in my high school, but when I got to Marion, that all changed. So really, I had to change my style of play in my in like my weight, just to, just to play off the one at Marion. So that was pretty much the big thing for me, just getting in better shape and learning the playbook. So how much weight did they ask you to lose? So 
so originally, so so when I got there in Marion, um, I was 350 pounds, and my coach required me to get down to about 325, and I got down to 330. But it was it was probably one of the best decisions I've done to lose weight because I got to, um, because I got to, um, well, it really helped me out moving better and be able to block better and my past set has gotten better because my weight um my weight dropped so yeah so i really appreciate coach making me drop the weight okay and i'll stick with you for a follow-up obviously people don't talk about highlight plays very often with offensive linemen but I know that every offensive lineman has a play that they carry around inside their heart, inside their memory, inside their soul, of a play that they made that they loved, you know, and you got love in it in the film room. People clapped and shouted you out and things like that. So tell me about a play that you made, and particularly a play that maybe you made because of something you'd seen in film study. A lot of times people don't realize that an offensive lineman, as you said, study a lot of tape. So maybe tell me about a play that you were able to make those something you spotted in your film study. And what was that play, and, and how did it play out, and how did it change the game? So, well, I, I, were you asking, like, a specific play that stood out to me? Play that you made, especially if it was like a game changer, right? A big, a big play. Or, or even just one favorite play. It doesn't have to be big, but usually it's a big play. Oh. Um, that came about because of something you saw in tape, and it was like a, like a highlight reel play. Like a play, I mean, obviously, you say highlight reel. You know, people don't think of offensive linemen, but offensive linemen make highlight plays, make big time plays all the time. People just often are following the football, they don't see them. But in film study, you get love. So, Tell me about a play you made that influenced the outcome of the game, and you were able to make it because of your your student of the game approach. Things you spotted or learned that helped you to make this play. Okay, so it was um, versus St. Francis my junior year. Um, pretty much my, my my biggest game, well, my first big game that I got to play. Um, it was down to the fourth quarter. We had just came back from a deficit. And we took the lead, and it was a fourth down play, fourth and short play, and we ran an inside zone. And basically, basically what I did was took my inside step and got my head play side and got to drop drop my player out, and was fortunate enough to get a pancake block. And not only that, it made a hole for the running back to run through, and we got um, the the three yard gain. Pretty much still the game for us, and that was that was part that's part another good one of the greatest memories I had in football as well. Okay. Got it. Got it. And same question for you, right? So I'll jump back over to my other offensive lineman. Tell me about a play that you were able to make because of film study, because of all the technique work, all the things that offensive linemen work on that people never see. But 
got a chance to play out, and you made a, a, a play that helped to change the flow of the game. Uh, yeah, so I would have to say um, there was a play in, in the first game of my senior year uh, against Missouri S&T, and, uh, and it was my job was to get to the linebacker, and they, they were doing a kind of a different formation that uh, was kind of developed basically to stop the triple offense. So it was it was different than you would see on most football fields, um, and so studying that through film, we were kind of ready for it when they when they jumped into it, and so they they kind of jumped into it at this moment, and we ran uh, one of our main plays, which is a belly scheme, and uh, I got to, I was able to get to him, and at the perfect angle, broke for, I believe it was like sixty or seventy yards, and. Um, it was either the first or second touchdown, but it was really the momentum builder for that game, uh, which, which set the tone for the season. Excellent. See, this is the part of the game I think most people don't realize, because everybody is looking at the running back, obviously, and, you know, deservedly so, the running backs are doing their thing, but... There's been no running back in the history of the game who managed to have long-term success without having great blocks. So it's always good to hear from you guys, you know, from guys like you, Brayden, and, and guys like you, Lee, about what it is you do and how you have to do. Sometimes people don't realize you're asked to block somebody. I mean, not as a person not wanting to be blocked, obviously, but you have to, you know, you have to be pretty nimble just to get there. Sometimes you're having to block somebody on the second level, somebody who's moving. You're not standing there. It's not a dummy. You know, you have to, there's a person who's trying to avoid you, and you have to go, 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 go get them despite the fact that they won't be blocked. And you're taking this person's, you know, this person's initiative, their will, their drive to do what they're trying to do, and you're flipping it. And you're saying, no, 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 my initiative and my will is what's going to determine what's happening here, not yours, sir. And when you take somebody and take them someplace where they don't want to go, and, and you get them there in a way they don't what would not like to be put there. That has to be satisfying. I have a couple more questions for my my uh, first two guests, and then I will let you guys have the rest of your day back. So I'm going to stay with you for a moment. Please. You mentioned coming into your senior year. Now you you're the new guy at first, right? You come in from a junior college, and a lot of times. It's different in different programs. A lot of times, you know, some people, some schools or some players look at the junior college guy like, you know, who are you? Why are you here? Who's spotting you to take? All that kind of stuff. How long did it take you to become, I guess I would say, a leader? Because it seems like you became one of the leaders of the offensive line group. How long did it take you to become a leader there? And tell me about your leadership style. All right. Well, uh, so when I got to Eastern, um, I, I had a bit of a bumpy start uh, just trying out different positions that they, they were kind of just trying to fill me in. Like you said, when you're coming from a show, they do expect you to play, but they're not always exactly sure where they're going to have you. So there was that, that slight transition where it was just a little bumpy is how I would call it. As, as far as um, my leadership style, I'm definitely a lead-by-example guy. I'm not going to be in there yelling and screaming in people's faces, but when it when something needs to be said, I'll definitely speak my mind um, about it. But I'm not going to be yelling and screaming. That's not really my style. I'm more of a lead by example, as in my focus, uh, my drive, and just kind of the overall goal and, and how I maintain my support. 
Okay. And I'll ask the same question of you. Uh, so tell me, Lee, about your – you also became head in your upperclassmen years. Seen as a leadership amongst the offensive linemen, how do you how do you lead, and what is your leadership style? So at Marion, um, I really didn't become like a leader of the offensive line until my senior year. Um, junior year, I did start, but there were a lot of senior there were seniors all around the offensive line, and I kind of like I kind of let them speak up for themselves. But when I got but when I got to my senior year, I realized. This is my offensive line, and I have to um, lead by example. Like, I'm kind of similar to Braden. I'm not a player that, that's rah-rah or very vocal, but I will speak at times. I'm more of a lead by example player as well. Um, so, when, so when there's slack going on the offensive line, I try to pick it up with my play, and I demand the same for everyone else on the offensive line. Okay, and I'll stick with you for the moment. Tell me about how you navigate the postseason or heading towards the postseason. You start to hear probably towards the middle part of your season that you might have the opportunity maybe even to play at the next level. You're probably hearing about maybe all-star game opportunities and things like that. Tell me about how you worked your way through deciding what you're going to do in terms of finding an agent or playing in an all-star game, all that stuff. How did you figure that out, and was there someone that helped you with it? Um, well, during the season, really, I didn't really think about that stuff like that. I was more focused on my team and winning one game at a time, week by week. And when we got towards the end of the season, I was still, when we were undefeated, I was still focused on the season, not really thinking about my post-collegiate career opportunities. I was just focused on the the one goal winning national championship, and once I got well, once we got to the end of the season and in the national championships, that's when I started to put my focus towards getting better shape and training. And with my well, currently I'm with my trainer right now, but as far as agencies and looking for agencies and playing in like all star games and that in that nature. Um, Really, I didn't get that much attention from that, and I'm still currently looking for an agency to reach out to me. Um, well, my dad's really helping me out with that, too. Um, really, I just been focused on school and graduating. Right, because you're, you're on track to graduate here in the springtime, correct? Yes, sir. Um, your, what will your degree be when you graduate? You're getting a degree in what? Um, business analytics. All right. <laughs> all right. See, once again, that's offensive linemen right there. They're always, always smart guys. Okay. Uh, same question for you, uh, Brayden. Tell me about... At what point in the season did you start to hear that you might have opportunities maybe beyond college? 
how did you navigate what you wanted to do about all-star games and agents and all that, and was there somebody who helped you through that process? Well, um, so during the season, I was, I was, I knew what we needed to have a good season in order for me to, to, to do anything after my college career. So I was pretty focused on the season, uh, like Lee was saying. Um, but once I was done, I, I did start researching into some of the uh, all-star games and which ones kind of get the best attention and, and which ones will get you in front of the most people. Uh, because I did believe that coming from a, a lower-level school, I was going to need a little bit more exposure. Uh, so I ended up, uh, after doing some research, I ended up going to the, the Dream Bowl uh, there in Virginia. And uh, it was a great experience, and, and I, I truly believe it, it helped my, uh, you know, my, my cause of becoming a pro athlete. Uh, I, I just, I, the value I found in it was just getting in front of people that I wouldn't normally be able to coming from uh, just the program that, that I was in. So, uh, I did a lot of the research on my own through, um, you know, Google and also Twitter. Uh, I reached out to some former players of, of some of the games. And, uh, so that, that was kind of my mindset with the games. Uh, as far as an agent goes, I haven't exactly uh, uh, figured that part out yet, I'm going to be honest. But I'm still, still figuring that part out. But I'm doing my own research and, and just kind of taking it one day at a time. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's always smart. It's an important decision, and you don't need to, to obviously rush things. Uh, my final, final two questions for my, my first two guys, and then I'll, I'll flip to my next set of guests. So both of you guys talked a lot about the film room and the weight room. And I just want to a lot of times we don't get a chance to brag on offensive linemen, so we're going to brag a little bit now about the weight room. Uh, I'll start with, I'll stick with you. Baby. Tell me a little about the things that you've done, accomplishments, um, you know, favorite lists, personal records, things like that. What are the things you've accomplished in the weight room? And, you know, if there's things that you know you've accomplished as a football player because of weight training, you can tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, coming out um, of high school, I was, I was kind of needing to develop my legs a little bit better, so I, I really committed to the squat and uh, perfecting that technique. And uh, I would have to say that that definitely helped my football the best. Is just is not only being able to pick up big weights in the, in the squat rack, but go all the way down to 90 or, or below and make sure that I can have my proper balance and I'm driving through the right points on my feet. Uh, so I, I definitely believe like my my squat would be my what I'm most proud of in, in the weight room, uh, getting it up over 600 was, was something I was very proud of and uh, something that I, I believe I worked really hard for. Okay. Excellent. Same question for you. Uh, tell me, Lee, about your weight room exploits, uh, favorite lifts, and uh, some of the numbers you've put up and obviously what you think that the weight room has allowed you to do as a football player? Um, in high school, uh, I was always considered like a pretty strong player. Um, even when I got to Marion, I was already like one of the strongest players there. 
Um, I take pride in my lifts, especially squat, like Braden. Um, although I was a pretty, pretty good squatter. Um, but even like, even though um, squatting did help me on the football field, squatting, um, I kind of take more pride in my mobility and my flexibility um, through yoga. In high school, I really didn't do yoga as much, but when I got to college, it was kind of it was required for us, especially for off the linemen. Because I know being flexible really helps out a lot with movement, and just taking just doing yoga has really helped me a lot. Being a better athlete as well, and that's just, even though I consider a lift, um, that's one of my favorite things to do now because I know it can help me out not just in football but just in the future and moving around. Okay, and uh, I guess my, my last two questions, uh, well, one is an unofficial question. I have one official and one unofficial, so I'll hit you with both. My last official question is, I'm going to take you a few years into the future, where after maybe four or five years, you've managed to establish yourself, right? You've bounced around. I'll be honest with you, right? It's just the way things are. When you're, when you're an undrafted free agent, you might be on someone's practice squad, and then you might get dropped. You might get picked up by someone else. You might spend some time in another league and get back into the NFL. I mean, just, I mean, look at the story of Raheem Mostert, right? Cut seven times, ends up being a starting running back in the Super Bowl. When you're an investor free agent, it is a different kind of life. You, not everyone's built for it. Some guys give up. The guys who don't, they get to do things like Raheem Mostert. But I think that you have the, the heart, the will, and the soul to to survive where others might not uh, through the ups and downs of being an undrafted free agent in the NFL. And so it might take a while, but when that, like when you had to wait your turn to some extent at Marion, I think that perseverance is going to stand you in good stead. When you come back to Marion, because you, you feel like a Marion guy. So when you come back to Marion and they bring you in to talk to the young guys, to talk to the guys who are trying to get where you are, get where you're going, what would you impart to them? If you had maybe three or four or five things you wanted to leave with them, what would be those things you'd want to pass on to them? Um, well, one of the things that I would leave on to them was, is to never, never, never give up, um, keep faith alive. Um, it's not going to be right away until you get your answer, but just keep working hard and put your head down, and you should get where you want to be at. Um, Another thing is, well, this is just for me personally, um, put God first and patience. Um, if you put, I feel like if you just be patient and keep working, um, you'll be where you want to be at as well. Um, also, just know, like, know your place because coaches like players that don't okay. – that, that don't um, – Know the like coaches like players that know the playbook, and the less time they spend, the less time they spend working on you and knowing the plays, the better off you get, the better the chance you'll get to play. So like that's that's where I was at in Marion, and that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, excellent. And then I have. One unofficial question, and it's more 
you know, for the ladies that are into big, handsome men, ladies who love the big, sexy, uh, what is your current situation? Are you uh, single, married, separated, divorced, engaged? Do uh, you have someone in your life? Um, currently, at the moment, I don't. I'm single right now. I'm focusing on my education and, and training, losing his weight, and hopefully get an opportunity to play somewhere at the next level. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty much it for me. I'm not really looking for anything serious okay. at the moment. Got it. Understood. Right now you're married to the game is what it sounds like. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, tell people if they wanted to sort of follow your journey. Uh, do you have social media presences? And if so, how would people find more about you and follow you going forward? Um, they can they can follow my social media. I have Twitter and Instagram. Um, pretty easy handles to follow. Um, at, at Lee Burks Jr. for both. Okay. Excellent. Well, young men, you know, I hope you guys will follow each other and support each other, and and obviously pray and root for each other as you guys undertake the most challenging challenge of your young lives. As I'm sure you've already been told, you know, you guys are, what is it, the the 1% of the 1%, you know, <laughs> uh, something like, well, 3% of the 1%, I guess, something like 3% of the guys who play college football uh, get to, you know, even be in a camp, and something like 3% of the guys who play high school football uh, get to be starters at the collegiate level, so you guys have already beaten 97%, you know, percent odds just to be where you are now, and obviously you're going to face, you know, the greatest challenge. Like I said, you'll, you'll, you'll face at this point, in your li- this point in your life, so I wish you the best in that. Uh, I have the same questions for you, Braden. Uh, first, tell me a little bit, you know, about if you were coming back to speak to young men you know, maybe at your junior college, maybe at, at uh, East New Mexico, maybe, I don't know, maybe at both, I guess, in your case, and you wanted them to understand the challenges they might face and how to negotiate, how to get through all of that like you did, what would you want them to know? Well, I, I would, uh, first I would tell them that uh, in order to do this, that, that they have to believe in themselves uh, before anything else, they have to understand their abilities. They have to understand what they're trying to do, and that uh, they need to believe that they're going to be able to do it. And no matter what people say, because they're going to get a lot of haters and a lot of people saying they can't, they, they have to believe in them saying they can over over those people saying they can't. And that's kind of what got me where I was is just my belief in myself, and and that's something that I would I would definitely make sure that they understand that. It's going to be a rough road, and especially the JUCO grind, and uh, just college football in general is is, is extremely challenging. And uh, if you don't have a good fundamental mindset about it, and and you're not ready to persevere, it's it's going to be something that you're not going to succeed at. And I just I believe that it, it all starts with believing in yourself. Well, that's, that's great advice no matter what a person plans to do. And, I mean, you made a quick mention of the JUCO grind. I mean, I don't think everyone understands. I've known guys that have gone the JUCO route who, when they arrived, didn't have a place to live, right? They were 
sleeping in the car or they were they would uh, find a few other guys in a similar situation. They would pool their little money and stay in a hotel room for a little while. Or, I mean, all kinds of things while they were trying to get their situation together. I've known guys that took a job delivering pizzas, not just for the money, but because they didn't have food. And so any pizzas that got left over, they would get to take home and eat. It's tough. I mean, it's 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 not for everybody. <laughs> you find out just how much you love football when you go on the JUCO route. Absolutely. So it definitely says something about you that that you came through it. So congratulations on that. And my unofficial question, um, once again, similar situation. Uh, do you have someone special in your life? What is your, you know, or, or what is your current status? Um, well, I am actually, I'm currently dating. I have a lovely girlfriend. Her name is Daryl Ann. Uh, we've been together for about three years, and okay. she's wonderful. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Well, that's a beautiful thing, and it sounds like she supports uh, your, your dream that some people might call a crazy dream, uh, but all dreams that are really worth having are always a little bit crazy. So I wish you both. The very best. I love getting uh, offensive linemen on one because you guys are very thoughtful. You always get great answers from offensive linemen um, because, you know, like I said, it's a very thoughtful group. Like, there's certain things, I mean, I hate the stereotype, but there's certain personality types that you tend to find amongst offensive linemen. And you tend to find guys that are, like I said, very thoughtful, have a, that, that sort of sense of being willing to sacrifice, uh, that inner toughness that they don't tend to beat their chest about it very often, and, you know, that, as you said, that willingness to be, you know, part of the machine, uh, to just put yourself into this thing and allow that thing to, to thrive even if no one notices you. So that's, that's a special kind of human being. So I, I very much enjoy having both of you young men on. Uh, okay, one, one last thing for you, Brayden. I forgot to ask. Uh, do you have social media? And if somebody wanted to find more about you and follow you, how would they do so? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I do have social media. Uh, the best place to find my uh, my football story would be my Twitter. That's going to be uh, bfock66. Um, that's where I post most of my my uh, football story and and just kind of my inspirational stuff. That would probably be the best spot to find that's on Twitter. Okay. Well, I thank you both. Uh, to both you, Brayden, and to you, Lee, thank you both very, very much. I will be following up, or I should say, to be more correct, my co-host, Kofi, will be following up. You guys will get an email either later today or more likely tomorrow, and that email will have some questions somewhat similar to the questions we covered here, some, some more in-depth, some slightly different, but, you know, similar. And please also send back a photo. And if there's some big guy yoga photos, we love those. We have one guy who's a, like a big guy hot yoga photo. I wasn't quite ready for all that. But, uh, yeah, I didn't know that I was coming. It's like, oh, wow, oh, oh. Hey, I mean, it's all love. Hey, nothing, I mean, love. hey if you've got big guy hot yoga photos, just warn me. That's all I ask. If there's a big guy hot yoga photos, just warn me because I need to be prepared. But either way, uh, please send a photograph of yourself. It could be just a football photo. I don't care what it is. I mean, a photo that represents you, obviously. I'll be writing up a profile that will show up in the next couple of weeks in uh, Nuts and Bolts Sports. Uh, so uh, the sooner you get it back to me, the sooner I can get it 
edited, cleaned up. Uh, and of course, if it's a hot yoga photo, maybe crop it uh, for young younger viewers. But please uh, do that as soon as you're able to get it done. I know you guys are going through a big, important, busy time in your lives. But uh, I thank you so much for making the time, uh, and, and it's a thrill to have both of you. So thank you, Lee, Bert. Thank you, Brayden. All that. It was a real thank pleasure. Yep, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. I will now be turning my attention to uh, some people that probably buy more of their clothes off the rack, but still, you know, larger than average, uh, I guess. I'll I'll back with you. So, Darius, thank you so much for your patience. And also, Brandon, thank you so much for your patience. I'll, I'll pop back with Darius, I guess. And I'm going to have you, Darius, tell me a little bit about uh, your part of the country and, and sort of the football culture there. Um, I, I I grew up in the Tidewater area, and we're super proud of our football culture. We, we're we annoyingly proud of our football culture. Uh, my high school has produced a couple of guys that went on to be All-Americans in football and played in the pros. Matt Darby uh, was a guy that was uh, a year behind me, but yeah, better than me, <laughs> way better. And, uh, and also the same year, Sam Chisco Gaines, who now I think is the defensive coordinator at IMG High School, if memory serves it correctly. But um, both of those guys got drafted by the Buffalo Bills, played in the NFL for a while. Al Shambly, Albrecht Shambly, uh, spent a year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the most famous football player from my school was Plasco Burris, who went to Michigan State and then got drafted by the Giants. Um, sorry, drafted by the Steelers. They just grew up the Giants. Come on, I knew better than that. Uh, um, but tell me a little bit about the football culture where you grew up, and if there's guys that came out of your area, you know who might those guys be? Uh, so going back to the high school days, um, so I was uh, born and raised in the state of Delaware. Um, so that's the second smallest state in the country. Um, so most people, like throughout my time in college, people are just confused as a yeah. location and that people actually live there. So I'm glad I'm proof of that. Um, but in terms of football culture, uh, we are a very in terms of football yeah. culture, we are a very proud state. Well, well, my my mom, my mom with the my mom with the Bancroft Junior High School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom, my mom is a Wilmingtonian. My mom grew up in on Cleveland Avenue in Wilmington, Delaware. Very familiar with Delaware. Awesome, nice. Wow, small world. But um, yeah, so now we definitely do have a very uh, proud football culture. Um, <laughs> even though like, we're a small state and don't have <laughs> as many schools, because I, I remember uh, back in high school I was being recruited uh, by Ohio State, and um, at the time uh, it was Coach Herman, Tom Herman, uh, who was the OC at the time. He told me um, he asked me how many teams were in Delaware. And I said, uh, we have, like, two leagues that flight A, flight B, and about, like, 60 teams. And he was like, seriously, that's it for the whole Tennessee? Yeah, he said, that's one county out here in Ohio. I said, well, my bad. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but, yeah, it's how it works. Um, but the good thing is, I mean, we still have um, good competition, good football, and it's good to see that uh, year in and year out we have more and more guys um, getting the recognition. And um, I feel like my class was a class that kind of pioneered that. Um, we had – I uh, went to Middletown High School. Uh, we had a great culture. Um, we were the uh, Middletown Cavaliers, and uh, we were firm believers in blue hearts. And because our colors were uh, blue and white, and we just were really just like passionate about football, and we loved one another. And 
worked hard to make sure that we could achieve greatness. Um, like I said, I was able to start as a freshman, played all four years. I ended up uh, taking out to, uh, we ended up going to the uh, state championship all four years, and I won my sophomore and junior year and lost my freshman and senior year. Um, but like I said, we, we were a very, very proud school. Uh, ended up becoming a, a state powerhouse um, when I first got there. They were on the center of that team, but really couldn't get over that hump on the playoffs, and we were able to kind of really enact some, some good change. Um, and some notable guys I know, uh, before my time, we had a kid, uh, Eric Lattimore. He um, was a dominant force uh, in the state of Delaware, big six guy, 270, um, ended up going full ride to uh, Penn State, uh, played in the uh, – CFL for a little bit, and then um, now he's still out in Canada. And, um, he's, uh, I believe, a coach out there. Um, we had another guy, uh, Timothy Gifford. He was um, six foot nine, offensive lineman. Ended up uh, going for to Clemson, um, and then ended up sustaining uh, some major injuries. And he ended up um, getting a medical waiver hardship, and um, just ended up going into coaching as well. Um, and then uh, for my class, I know uh, I ended up having the fortune to get some uh, good notoriety, some offers, and went to Boston College. And my uh, high school teammate, uh, we graduated the same year, and best friend, um, Chris Godwin. Uh, he went to Penn State and then now went to the Pro Bowl this year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, as a wide receiver. So he's definitely been doing his thing, uh, which is great to see. Um, but, but I guess, I mean, just the, the fact that we had some notable guys um, currently yeah. um, for the 2022 class, maybe. I don't know, I don't know how that works, uh, what year exactly it will be. But um, we have a quarterback, uh, Braden Davis, who is a five-star quarterback and has Alabama offers. Texas a was his first offer, NC State, Oregon, all these schools already. Um, so I'm just kind of happy because, like, and during my time, there's a lot of people where Delaware just gets overlooked. Like I said, we're small. People just assume because we're small, we don't have a lot of talent. And you don't play anybody. Everyone's probably, yeah, five foot six linemen. No, that's not how it works. We have football players, and we have good ones at that. Um, so I was happy that we are kind of able to really pioneer, really kind of change the culture and the, the notion of football in Delaware. So now more and more people are getting recognition in that. Now I have a five-star with the Alabama offer. That definitely kind of – really puts Bella on the map and now more and more people will look, which is something I'm definitely excited about. Well, yes, for, it does show. You are, you're going to be my, my official Delaware High School football insider from this, way, this, this day forward. Um, I can tell that there's a passion there that you really, and part of it is from having to explain to people, like you said, you know, hey, no, no, no. I remember the big time, this is, I'm much older than you, but I remember the big time recruit coming out of the state was a guy named Vando Davis, who ended up at Tennessee, if I remember correctly. Um, I grew up in Virginia, but as I mentioned, my mom is from Delaware, so I always paid attention to Delaware football. We used to go to, you know, some games up there to watch the Blue Hens a couple of times, and I saw a fair amount of high school football in Delaware, and talent's talent, you know, and there's talent everywhere. There's some mm-hmm. kid in Alaska who's about to be the first, I mean, I'm assuming, the first big-time Alaska recruit. Like, there's going to be kids from everywhere, right? There's kids in Hawaii. There's kids everywhere. Talent's talent, and it'll find its way. So thank you. Um, I'm going to have to 
I've, I've had some guys from like Wesley on before. So I've had a few Delaware guys on before, not, but not enough. I'm going to have to focus more on that. I want to have more Delaware guys on. There's, there's serious, you guys seriously have, have love and uh, passion about your state. Oh, it shows. I'm going to uh, swing it back over, so thank you once so much. Uh, back to you, Brady, and thank you so much for your patience as well. Take, take me through sort of where you grew up. Uh, take me through the football culture that surrounded you when you were younger. Um, I'm originally from uh, Miami, Florida, so you know how big football is there. Um, producing talent uh, <laughs> all the time. But uh, my dad was in the Army, so I finished my uh, high school career in Columbia, South Carolina um, at uh, Irmo High School, but South Carolina is slowly uh, – they put oh, out – Fort Jackson? Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, they, um, they, they produce talent here. Maybe not as much, but it's, I feel like it's definitely it's growing slowly, and they're definitely putting guys in, in the NFL and at the next level. At not, uh, probably at a high rate now, but they're not – probably not well-known, but they're definitely getting guys to the next level. But um, my high school, we were pretty good. But it was decent. our record wasn't that good, but we definitely had the talent for guys to go play at the next level. But certain guys decided not to go play, and we had a couple guys go D1. And I think the class or two after us, like now it's starting to show, like, the talent where we got a guy, I think, at Tennessee, a starting corner at Tennessee. I think we got a guy committed to USF. Missouri. Um, so my school is definitely starting to produce a lot of talent, or they're definitely starting to get the recognition that they definitely uh, deserve, which I feel. It's just sort of funny. We have like the underdog story of Delaware football, and you bust out Miami. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Put it down and walk away. Um, so you're correct. South Carolina is, is also doing very, very well. I mean, obviously, you know, Jadavion Clowney was the number one high school player in the country. Uh, there's been a lot of really good wide receivers and defensive backs, I've noticed. If you look on, like, ESPN 100 or 100, 300, whatever, any whatever, whatever 100 you look up, there's always a few kids from, like, Goose Creek or um, – you mentioned Irmo. Um, what's that other high school? Uh, 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 Dutch Fort. Rock Hill. Um, yeah. There's a few places where you always have some. Burns. Thank you, Burns. Burns has got wide receivers every year, right? They've always, there's a four or five wide receiver Burns every year, it seems like. Yes, excellent. Um, do you remember some of the best guys that you ever played against or played with when you were coming up? Um, no, not really. Like, uh, well, I definitely played against some talent, but I really don't know where they are, what they, what they went on to do. Sorry, I I didn't really pay too much attention. Like, I knew them that year, and then I never, like, really paid too much attention to them. That's okay. I mean, but you know any names. Like, guys, you could have been put No, I can't think of nobody right now. You put me on the spot. Uh, I can't think of nobody right now. 
I apologize. Some guys are good, but that's not a big deal. We'll just move forward. I'll stick with you, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. So tell me when you first got to your high school, before you moved, where were you on the depth chart, and how long did it take you to start to climb the depth chart? Um, when I moved to Irmo, uh, I transferred to Irmo my senior year. That was my senior year I transferred to Irmo. Um, it really took me just that first day. Like, that first day I came in, I had to do, like, one-on-ones and stuff, and I won every one-on-one. Like, I was, I don't know, it was just a day for me. It was, it was just that day for me to, I came in catching one-hand passes. I was catching on everybody. So, from that day, like, they knew, okay, I was going to be starting. But I didn't know, obviously, I didn't know the plays because it was my first day. So, I had to take that back seat and learn the plays and then, like then once I learned the plays, they were like, Okay, now we're gonna actually let you play and let you feel more comfortable with, with everything that you're doing. So uh it it took time. Like it wasn't like a like I definitely came in and showed that I could start right away, but it just took time learning the playbook because the there's definitely a new offense for me. Okay. And then before you transferred at your first school, how long did it take you to become a starter there? Uh, uh I probably through my freshman year. I my freshman year I actually played overseas because my dad was in the army. But um I definitely uh, I came in starting. So we had like you know we had like summer workouts and stuff like that, and I just showed right away that I could definitely play the position. I, I was playing corner at the time, and then my sophomore and junior year, my sophomore year I played corner as well. I think I started, I played a decent amount, and then my junior year I switched to receiver, and uh, I had to climb the depth chart. I was probably like second or third string. I thought like third string, and then like they realized that like, okay, when I when I was on the field, it definitely opened the offense up more because I was able to run the deep routes, put pressure on the defense, stuff like that. So probably by like the third or fourth game, maybe is when I really started to see the play time, and yeah, that's probably then. Okay. Now, were you playing other sports like basketball or track or anything else, or just football? Uh, track. I ran track. I ran. Uh, my events were the hurdles. Like they, my like my coach, my track coach is like a a well known track coach in South Carolina. Um, uh, like he told me, like, look, you're not hundred meter fast. He's like, you'll probably be it later on, but as of right now, you're not it. So that was my first year running track. So he was just like, look, I'm going to put you here, and I feel like you're going to uh, succeed here. And I actually had success right away running the hurdles. Uh, the 400-meter hurdles was my event. Um, I don't know why, because I used to be about to die every, every single time that I ran it, but for some reason it, it's what worked for me. And then it kind of, like, that <laughs> just, like, carried over to, like, the 4 uh, by one the 4 by 4 Stuff like that. I was 
that event definitely helped me a lot. What was the best time you ever ran? Uh, uh, it was a 54.8. I definitely could have ran faster because I tripped over a hurdle, but that was that was the fastest mark I had was 54.8. Nothing to be ashamed of. That's a decent time. Okay. Uh, how do you think it helped you as a guy who played on the corner and played by the receiver? How do you think it helps you being a hurdler? Just, uh, I guess just the transition of being able to run longer, uh, being more flexible. I definitely became way more flexible in my hips and, uh, and definitely, I actually got a lot faster than what at this point I really like track and being fast. Um, uh, yeah, my biggest thing was flexibility. Like, in order to do the hurdles, you have to be flexible. So I think that was, like, the biggest thing for me. It definitely helped my hips, my core, and stuff like that. So it definitely transferred, uh, transferred over to football. I wasn't really just tight pitch and stuff like that. Okay, got it. I'm going to jump back over to... Uh, Darius, tell me a little bit about other experiences you might have had uh, in other sports and how that might have helped you as you develop as a football player. Uh, so I know a lot of people, um, they're definitely advocates for playing multiple sports because each sport kind of hits different areas um, that just one sport doesn't always focus on. Um, so, like I said, I played football, basketball, baseball. Um, baseball, I mean, probably its biggest, uh, biggest uh, thing that helped was, of course, your hand-eye coordination. That's something that definitely um, required to be any type of decent at that sport. And hand-eye coordination, I mean, it's just in regular life, but it's especially within football as well. Um, so, that was um, something that definitely really picked up from that and um, improved upon. I was also a pitcher, um, so being a quarterback, I know that has some uh, translation, um, mainly because arm pitching that teaches a quarterback to kind of throw from a very uh, arm slot. Um, so I'll, thankfully, I didn't adapt the uh, the habit of actually like side arming it like I pitch, because um, I know some some uh, quarterbacks end up throwing the way they pitch uh, a football. Um, so, but now I have the range to be able to change my arm slot when necessary and still be able to throw a good good football. Um, and then basketball, I mean, basketball helped out tremendously. Um, definitely wouldn't say I was great. Um, I knew my role. Um, I was definitely a role player, and I was perfectly okay with that. I was the tough football player guy who just bullied all the tall, skinny kids and got rebounds, got putbacks, and just was a pain <laughs> on defense that no one wanted to go against. But just from the conditioning standpoint and just what basketball requires, just the amount of jumping and lateral as well as just straight sprint back, sprint back, sprint back. It just really helps with your acceleration, your explosiveness. Um, it really gets you in phenomenal shape because I'll come right out of football and go straight to basketball and think I was in shape, but I definitely was not because basketball shape is completely different. 
Um, so just things like that, it just kind of builds builds your, your, your toolbox and just kind of helps develop yeah. you overall to make you the best athlete possible. Got it. Yeah. Um, I think they ran a graphic during the Super Bowl of, I think, 60... 68 or something percent of the players who played in the Super Bowl on the two rosters have been multi-sport athletes in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something like 50-something percent of them ran track. You know, so, so um, you, and obviously, you know, as you said, basketball, baseball, anything that requires that you track something moving, and you mentioned pitching, obviously, very famously, uh, Pat Mahomes was a, well, the son of a major league pitcher and himself a very fine baseball player at White House High School, mm-hmm. drafted, uh, could have played shortstop. He was very fine shortstop, pitched also. He was a relief pitcher. Supposedly in high school was touching 96 on the gun, which is frightening as heck to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> good Lord. That's just nuts. Um, what are we supposed to do with that? You know, I'm, I'm not getting paid here. I'm not supposed to be facing people who throw 96. You know, guys who have to face people who throw 96 should at least have to sign a contract. I agree. So uh, that that certainly showed up. When he mostered, of course, was a very well known. He was probably more well known as a track athlete in college. He was a, a two time um, in, indoor split champion at Purdue. Uh, Tyreek Hill was a guy that had a chance to qualify for the Olympic trials as a sprinter. So, yes, uh, multiple sports. I mean, I know I've said it before, but if you have the opportunity to play more than one sport, do it for as long as you can before you absolutely have to specialize. Uh, It helps you in so many different ways to be more well-rounded, to even some studies have shown possibly even injury avoidance if you're more cross-trained. I'm going to stick with you for the moment, Darius, as we move forward. So tell me about when you first started to hear in terms of, you know, recruitment process. You mentioned, you know, that Tom Herman, that's a cool, cool story. I have a friend of mine who used to work for Tom Herman at Houston when he became head coach. But um, when did you first start to get recruited? And other than obviously Ohio State, who else was part of your your recruitment process? Uh, So... Uh, my recruitment process actually started pretty early. Um, so it was a situation where, like I said, I started as a freshman um, and went to the state championship. Unfortunately, like I said, we lost. But uh, I had a productive season uh, because I was a freshman. Um, it's not like college where you can redshirt and then be a redshirt freshman. Like I was legit right out of middle school. So because of that, like, there was a pretty big leap to get to that level. But I did manage it um, well. And, like, my freshman year, I was definitely more of a game manager. Uh, we emphasized the run, kept things simple, short, and just didn't want to kind of put too much on my plate. And as the season developed, I was able to start doing more and more. And, I mean, my stats were anything phenomenal. I think I had, like, things like 1,900 or 18 or 1,900 passing yards with, I think it was, like, 18 touchdowns, four picks. And then I had, like, 400 rushing yards with, like, five rushing touchdowns. So, like, it was, like – Decent numbers, like I showed that I was able to produce and do well, and I was like honorable mention uh, all conference. Um, 
freshman year, but right after the season, right after the state championship game, we played on Saturday. Then that Monday, when we got back to school, um, Ron Vanderlinden from Penn State at the time ended up coming into the school uh, to meet with me and talk to me. So at that point, that's when kind of my whole recruiting process started. Um, I was in shock. Um, like I got called out of my psychology class to go to the football office, and I was like, wait, what did I do? And I was so confused. And once I got down there and just talked to him, like, I was just jumping for joy because I'm like, is this really – like, what? Because for me, like, I was a freshman, like I said, I wasn't – because uh, I wasn't really expecting, especially a school like that, to come. I mean, I understand, like, a local school, University of Delaware, West, like, so many small schools, yeah. But for Penn State to come, that was just such an eye-opener for me and just really gave me all the confidence and motivation in the world to just keep going and keep getting better. Um, so time passed, and uh, sophomore year is when I received my first offer. Um, first offer was from University of Delaware. Um, after that, then I had a couple other, like, smaller schools like Bucknell and um, Colgate and some of the smaller, like, D1, AA schools that were all kind of um, putting their hat in the ring. Um, and then my first uh, Power 5 offer was um, Syracuse University. Um, after Syracuse offered, then NC State offered, then Nebraska offered, then Indiana, then Pittsburgh, um, Maryland, Rutgers, Vanderbilt, uh, Boston College, of course. Um, so I started um, getting a fairly lengthy list. Um, like I said, I went. Um, I talked to. I had Coach Herman come out to my school uh, to watch me throw, and he absolutely loved me. So they brought me out for a visit. Met with Urban Meyer and everything at the time, and I mean everything was going great. But Urban just said to me as I was about to leave, um, Coach Herman said that if it was up to him, he'd offer me right now, and then. Uh, Coach Meyer interjected and said, yeah, but I have a system where, I mean, regardless of the player, before I can give him an offer, I need to see him in camp so I can put him through a ringer myself to make sure this is the guy I want to be here playing for me. Uh, so he's saying he had Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, all those guys do that too. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't get the Ohio State offer. Um, I had, uh, who was it? Oh, I just forgot his name. Um, I had Oregon come out. I forget the uh, – the, it was the offensive coordinator at the time, but I believe he became the head coach after Chip Kelly left. Um, but he came out, and that was probably one of the cooler things, just seeing them all decked out in all the Oregon gear and everything. So, I mean, my, my recruiting process yeah, was pretty good. It started off uh, pretty pretty fast, which I was surprised about. Especially yeah, that's Coach, that's coach Mark. Say it again. Oh, it's Mark Helfrich. Yes. Mark Helfrich. Yes. So, so like I said, so that was a, a really unique experience, and um, my recruiting process was yeah. He was uh, he was the offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, also. Yes, there. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Um, but then in terms of making my decision to go to Boston, um, I had a criteria of three things that I mainly looked for. It was academics, because I know football doesn't last forever, and you always need to have a solid plan B. Um, conference. I want to be in a situation where I can play against top-tier competition and really push myself to be great and have those chances to be on national television and sold-out seats and everything like that. Um, and then lastly was uh, playing time. So being in Delaware, I mean, I've never not started. That's something I always did. So I want to put myself in a position where I can 
play early. I know, like, back in the day, like the USC glory days, the tradition was the best quarterback in the country would go to USC, and he would sit for four years, play his last year, do great, go to the NFL, first-round draft pick. Like, that was, like, the cycle, and that's how football used to be. But now I saw that it was changing where now young guys do have a chance. You can play as a true freshman. And I felt like I had that opportunity, but unfortunately – at Boston, decided to get a transfer from University of Florida, Tyler Murphy, and then I didn't get to play right away, and then so on and so forth. Okay. And for those of us who are not intimately involved in Boston College, it's a, first of all, it's in beautiful Chestnut Hill. Um, it's mm-hmm. in a very sort of picturesque part of, of Boston. Uh, it is an, one of the older universities also in the United States. But uh, tell us about the culture, I guess, the campus culture and the football culture that you found when you got to BC. So football culture, I loved it. Um, the football culture was great. Um, Steve Adazio at the time did a phenomenal job bringing in some good men um, to the university. Um, everyone had good values, were, were passionate in what they did and cared about people and weren't just – dirt bags like they actually like cared and went about things the right way which is good um and like i said i mean we we had that blue collar workman type mentality um and that's kind of like what boston just kind of considers themselves to be and everyone wanted to win which is also something that was encouraging so everyone pushed each other but in terms of the school culture i would have to say i definitely wasn't the biggest fan um so growing up uh, like all throughout my academic career, I always just went to public schools, just whatever was the closest one, just went there. And um, because of that, going public, you typically have a lot of diversity, just people from all over, and everyone's kind of more even-keeled and just level-headed. But Boston College, I think now, is up to 75000 a year for tuition to go there. Um, and they are a private Jesuit Catholic university. Um, and the Jesuit part just means that um, our higher-ups, like the president, vice president, all that, they're all a Jesuit priest. So that those we have priests who yeah. run the school, um, which is like I didn't realize until I actually got there. Yes. I said, oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, the culture is just a little weird because it had that, like, most of the people that went there were all kids who went to private schools that kind of is that preppy type of culture. A lot of people kind of have that. I'm better than you type of mentality because they come from money because they had a four six GPA in high school, which I didn't even know was possible and like things of that nature. So you just have all these like type of like elitist type people and just being from a small state like Delaware in a small town and always going to public school. I've just never really been exposed to that. So that was kind of like a culture shock. Um, I mean, I'm someone who's able to adapt well. And, like, I still made friends and still, like, interjected myself into the into the culture and still, like, enjoyed my time there. But all in all, I uh, wasn't too big of a fan of the type of, like, person that kind of goes there and the culture that was built. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little like Notre Dame, but as someone said, mm-hmm. it's Notre Dame. Someone said it's Notre Dame. How'd they put it? It's like Notre Dame, how do you put it? Notre Dame structure, but Harvard mentality or something like that. Um, so they think they're an Ivy, some of them think they're going to an Ivy League school, though it's certainly not. 
but it is, as you said, uh, the Society of Jesus, more commonly known as mm-hmm. the Jesuits, uh, founded that school and still run it to this day. A very large feeder system from the parochial schools all over New England, as you have previously alluded to, and mm-hmm. and even places like Philadelphia and others send a lot of uh, kids from their Catholic schools and private, other private schools as well. And yes, there's a lot of money because uh, if, if you don't have a lot of scholarships, you better be rich yeah, exactly. if you're if you're going there. So yes, uh, there's a lot of yes. There's a lot of what you talked about. <laughs> you are correct. Uh, and, I mean, if, if everyone, I guess, needs to be exposed to some extent because at some point you will be doing something other than playing football, and a lot of the people you will run across in this world who are in decision-making capacities in large organizations, for better or for worse, have come from that kind of background. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So how long, uh, I'll stick with you for the moment here, so how long did it take you on the football side? Uh, we always talk about the welcome to college football, right? Uh, there's always a welcome to college football. And for you, it might have been maybe more social and academic than it was, you know, football, football. But what was your moment that woke you up to, oh, this is not, this is different. This is not what I, this is not where I came from. This is not what I've been doing. Uh, this is a different world. Was it more a physical thing, a mental thing? What was your welcome to college, and in your case, I guess, college football, and maybe just college altogether, wake-up call? Uh, so for me, it came very early. Um, it was two things. It was a physical and a mental thing. Uh, so I actually early enrolled. So I got to on campus um, like December 31st um, and then got ready for the semester coming up in January. Um so being an early enrollee, I mean, just literally just coming straight out of high school like that, you have a very quick adjustment period because the second you step on campus is the start of winter workouts. And winter workouts are no joke. Um, so I remember we had a first workout. It was definitely tough, but, I mean, I was able to handle it. But then our second workout, I was in the second uh, running group, and it was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen and also frightening. Um, because one of uh, the other early enrollees with me, Isaac uh, Yidem, he's actually a uh, defensive back for the Denver Broncos. He was a third-round draft pick back in 2017. Awesome. Um, yeah, yes, sir. Um, yeah, so he's, he's definitely one of my best friends. He likes that we both early enrolled together. Um, but I remember I was in the run group after him. And, like, I got to the locker room early, was just, like, trying to get myself prepared and everything. And I literally see him, like, coming back into the locker room, like, by himself. And I was confused. I was like, wait, the workout shouldn't be over yet. And he was literally going through it. He was pretty much bawling, just, like, crying and couldn't breathe. It was, like, hyperventilating. was freaking out going into the train. I was like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. <laughs> like, freaking out. So now, after he left to go, I'm like, what is about to happen to me? Like, they literally already broke him. What are they about to do to me? <laughs> so that, like, woke me up real quick. Like, yeah, this college stuff is different. They don't they don't care. Oh, you look no, they're gonna keep pushing you and you better find a way to pull through. Otherwise you're gonna hurt the rest of the team because guess what? 
you're going to have to do it again. It doesn't matter that now everyone's you're going to do it again. You're going to have to find a way to finish. Um, so that was that was quick um, learning there from the physical aspect, but then also mental. Um, like I said, being there early in Roll League, getting that first install was definitely a lot because I had to get ready for spring ball once I got there. So it's kind of going from, I mean, most high school playbooks aren't too extensive. Um, I mean, we saw a variety of plays, but, I mean, the calls were simple. It was blue right blue left, like simple play calls like that. So to have the super long verbiage, because we have like we had that like more so West Coast type of um, style when I first got there. So it was a super long, drawn out verbiage that literally tells every player pretty much what exactly they do. So just like seeing the names and just the different concepts and how much different defenses were. Because like in Delaware, you could play a team and the entire day or the entire game, they'll just be in cover two. So it's like, all right, they're a cover two defense, simple as that. But here all the different varieties and disguises and the different ways they can get to doing the same thing from different alignments, all that was very much overwhelming. And um, like I said, as a quarterback, what makes it even worse is it's not like I just need to know my split and it's a 10-yard curl. I need to know that route, the other routes, what the linemen do, what I do, what the running back does and what the defense is doing and how I'm supposed to beat that very quickly and then execute it. So the amount that it takes for a quarterback to, like, do it successfully is a lot. So that, that definitely kind of uh, woke me up and shocked me a bit. And then probably one more story that uh, almost had me uh, <laughs> leave football was also when I was early enrolled, it was during spring ball now, now at this point, and it was a play where I – was in the pocket, rolled out, ran, and we were doing third down drill. And, like, I was, like, running to get the first down. Like, made a guy miss, and I dove to get the first down. Because, like, I was trying to make sure I got it. And, like, everyone was, like, that me. I'm like, hey, good run, good run, good job, good job. And, like, after everyone cleared out the way, I just saw Steve Adazio, the head coach, literally just staring me down, face completely red, just angry. And then he just waved me over to come here. I went over. And he just said, what are you doing? This is third down. Do you know how important this is? You have to get the first down. You're over here tripping and falling. I said, and, like, and like I knew I dove, but he saw it as me, like, falling. And he didn't think I got the first down. But I dove and thought I got the first down. So we just thought two completely different things. And he was just livid. And my dumb 18-year-old naive self decided to answer his rhetorical question what were you thinking or what were you doing? And I actually answered it. Um, and oh! I, yeah, because I, uh, because I never like been yelled at, I was always good and like there's never any issues. Um, because I was like my first time really getting yelled at, like I guess my reaction was to like nervously laugh. But then as I was answering it, I was kind of laughing in his face. Um, oh, oh! Yeah, uh, so he went off. Um, and we had the whole sideline still with, like, high school players and coaches, like, all spectators watching, taking notes and stuff, and literally practice stopped. Um, he started screaming. He said, how dare you? I've been coaching for 35 years. I'm 35 years old. No one's ever allowed me. How dare you? Just going off on me, and I'm just there at a loss. So and then he told the offensive coordinator, uh, Coach Day, uh, Ryan Day, who's now the uh, head coach at Ohio State, he told him to send me into the locker room and that I was done for the day. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I was yeah. done with football. We all know Ryan Day is. We all know Ryan Day is. 
Yeah, so that was uh, that definitely uh, Lily Collins. Wow. Kind of now, I don't know Coach Adazio personally, but. Oh, my God. I, I don't know Coach Adazio personally. I've seen him at a few conferences and pro days, and I will say this. He looks like a dude who, if he gets into you, he's like the kind, he looks like the kind who will get into you, look like he's done, like he's turning maybe the wrong way, then he'll remember something he really wants to go at you up. Like, he'll mm. feel go back two or three times to get some more. He'll take a guy who thinks he's done yelling at you and then gets the second, gets the second wind. That's what he looks like to me. I don't know him. But he seems like the kind of guy who's like, like, you think he's bad, he thinks he's bad. It's like, wait, hold on. Like, he gets a little more energy and decides to go at you some more. Would that, would that be accurate? Uh, that is um, 100% accurate. That is a great observation. <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> well, that argues to your mental toughness because it's clear that that, that man coaches hard. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he he whew, he gives it to you. And of course, before we move on, I want to spend a little time on Ryan Day because that's a that's obviously a coach I'm very familiar with, and mm-hmm. you're more familiar with. Everyone thinks of him as this like genius, wunderkind you know, whatever term you want to throw out there. And he has ties to, obviously, Chip Kelly. He has ties to um, um, uh, Urban Meyer. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he seems to be an extremely bright offensive mind. Uh, if you were trying to explain Ryan Day to someone who wasn't familiar with him, what would you tell someone were, like, the major qualities of Coach Day? Uh, good question. Um, so he was – like I said, he was the OC, and he was the, uh, the one who recruited me to Boston College uh, when I went there. And, I mean, he's, he's definitely a great guy. He's um, someone who's definitely uh, a straight shooter. He will be blunt at times and just tell it like it is, uh, which is definitely a good thing because some people do beat around the bush and tell you what they think you want to hear, but that doesn't always end well and doesn't get the results that are necessary. So he will tell you directly how it is, uh, which is good. Um, he's definitely a hard coach. Um, he fit. Um, Coach Adagio's staff very well because they were all about really pushing you to be good and that hard coaching and really just kind of getting on you to, like, really bring out the best in you. Um, so, and like I said, he, he is definitely a very good offensive mind. He was uh, very intelligent, knew a lot, a lot about football, and um, did a great job of being a, a good teacher and um, kind of shaping and molding us as players. Um, unfortunately, was able to be with him for the year. Um, because then he then went to the Eagles to be the quarterback coach with Chip Kelly and then went to San Fran and then ended up at Ohio State. Um, so I only had him for uh, one year, but, I mean, I feel like yeah, he, he definitely was a great coach. He was hard on me a lot um, because I was young and dumb at the time, and he and he got on me a lot in meetings and gave me a, a yelling or two here and there. But definitely big family-oriented man, loves his family, um, brought him around us all the time. But always have like dinners and stuff for the football guys, and would just always look out for us. So just a great guy overall and a good coach. Excellent. Okay, I'll swing back to Brandy, and thank you so much. I didn't I didn't intend to ask him any questions in a row, but I'm I'm a huge Coach Adazio nerd, so I needed to ask a few more questions about Coach Adazio. And I'm a big fan of Ryan Day. I'd like to ask a few more questions about him as well. And I mean, Ryan Day, I think, will be a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, done. So we'll see. We'll see how it comes out, though. Um, so, Landy, what was yeah. your welcome to college football? And 
Tell me a little about your recruitment. Let me back it up. Tell me about your recruitment process a little bit, and then you can tell me about your welcome to college football moment. Uh, me, I wasn't uh, recruited uh, highly recruited. I wasn't really recruited at all. I had decided uh, after my football season that I would. Uh, I had just made that initial decision to go um, JUCO, and I had just so that was my biggest thing. Well, track track kind of helped me, uh, but I had uh, I had spoke with I think it was Auburn, and they had they had wanted a specific time out of me when I wasn't able to get that time. But other than that, like I wasn't recruited at all, and I, so I had just decided right out the gate that I was like gonna go JUCO, and then. Well, I kind of messed myself up in JUCO because I had decided uh, like my freshman year I played and I had a I had a decent season and then um, I ended up having this. I decided to sit my second year because like this family issues and stuff like that. So that kind of messed me up. But my working the college moments, I think it was just a workout when I first went to. Uh, like I said, I transferred a lot to so like my, the first school I went to. We had a instead of we had this thing like a mental fitness, mental conditioning test or something like that, where we had to wake up at it was I think like five thirty six in the morning, and we had to do two hundred and fifty uh, burpees. That was the minimum, and then I think the one day we had to do, we got close to like four hundred five hundred. Like I thought I was gonna die, but like they they kept making us like restart and just kept finding reasons for us to. Do them over again, so that we was out there for the longest. That was just like a moment for me. That was just like, oh. yeah, this is college football. Yeah, I mean, they can't do the things that they used to do to people. I mean, the things that Bear Bryant and some of those guys back used to do back in the fifties and sixties, you go to jail for nowadays. But they still. You still find a way to make it a yeah. test of your, your passion and your love. How badly do you want it? Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned the junior college experience, and uh, we've talked about it before with other players. Juco is, is a hectic. Uh, there's guys with different agendas sometimes at the Juco level. Some guys are, you know, hey, we're, I'm here for the team. I want us to win. And some guys are like, hey, who wins is cool. But I gotta get my stats. You know, I gotta get. I gotta do. Uh, I gotta do my thing. Um, you know, I gotta. I gotta get. I gotta go be one. Uh, tell me about how you chose your junior college and what was the, the culture like when you got there. Um. So the I I ended up choosing the first school that I went to because well the first two schools that I went to were well every school I chose to go to was literally because I knew somebody there. And they were just like, 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 you know, like, we're going to do this together. We're going to get to this together, stuff like that. So, like, that was kind of my thing. But um, it was definitely an experience, I would say. Like, if, you, if you're not used to it, it was definitely, like, one school I went to, I'm not going to speak on the school name because I don't know if they ever get in trouble or anything, but, like, one school, they had us in a, a hotel that ended up getting closed down while we were still there in the hotel. And, like, you know, some of them days, you only eat once or twice, and then 
it was five of us in one hotel room. So it was definitely like, if you're not used to stuff like that, it definitely, it messes with you mentally, but it definitely builds you up if you, if you like, me, I'm one of them people like, I like, no matter how bad it is, I always try to find something good in the situation. So I was just like, okay, this is going to make me stronger in some type of way. Like it's going to, whether it's, I don't know. Like I was, and plus I was like with my cousin and my best friend. So like there'd be moments where they were just losing it. And I'd be like, like our school was near like the beach. So I was just like, oh, like let's go hang out at the beach. So it'd be like, even though we got class in the morning and stuff like that, we'll go up to the beach at like one in the morning and just sit out there for like an hour or so and just walk to the beach just to get our mind off our situation. And we'd just be talking and, you know, trying to make each other laugh and stuff like that. But it definitely, it definitely is a rude awakening if you don't know what you're doing. And then, like, when I, I used to live in, I went to a school out in California, and it was, we had a three-bedroom, and it was one, two, three, four, it was six of us in a three-bedroom. And then, like, one person left because he just couldn't take it. And then, you know, some people struggle with rent, like, and stuff like that. So it was definitely, we heard about teammates. Like, one of our teammates, he ended up coming up ineligible where he couldn't, obviously he couldn't play. So he decided while we was at practice to, like, take everybody's things out of their apartment somehow, some way, and try to sell it to people. Like, it was just a, it's definitely an eye-opener situation if you're not used to it. Um, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed my time. I still talk to some of the people who I was in JUCO with. Like, we definitely uh, built great relationships. We're all on different paths, obviously. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's definitely something. I feel like if you – if you can do it, do it. But you have to know what you're getting yourself into because it is not going to be all good and gravy unless you unless your family has it like that to kind of support you. But even then, like, it, it's going to be a moment where you're like, like oh, well, not like this. Is this really for me? And for me, I kind of held my head. I kept my head up, like, most of the time. <laughs> yeah. But my yeah. situation was definitely different. It's definitely different than most people because I transferred a lot and definitely had a lot going on everywhere I went. And so I definitely went through a situation where I grew a lot and well, everybody grows no matter what you go through, but it definitely was a path where I would, I'd definitely do it again, but it definitely made me a better, maybe a great person at the end of the day. I appreciate everything. I appreciate everything that I give and I don't know. I I definitely respect what I went through, and it definitely made me a great person. I mean, if you've ever shared a bed with another big, giant human being, I bet you appreciate anything else that happens. You get out of that situation. So, yeah, I bet bet you appreciate it. I bet you appreciate everything. Yeah. Um, how did you guys? How did you guys eat? Because that's something that, once again, I mean, obviously, you know, young Mister Wade's at Boston College. We're feeding him like a kid. Um, it's a little different at the JUCO. What was, how did you guys get get fed? 
So, like, um, for me, uh, it was me. Like, I kind of, like, I'm a big fan of McDonald's. So, like, the dollar menu was my favorite thing to use. Uh, like, the one, the school where we stayed in the hotel, like, that was probably, like, the worst situation I was in. But I really didn't have the money. So, like, and then at times when I had money, my friends didn't have money and stuff like that. So we'll do stuff like maybe I'll buy food this day or we'll just probably starve all day and just wait to eat at night. Or we'll probably, we had like a, what is it? Was a Win Dixie or something like that right by our school. So we were, so we would, um, it's like, you know how they, uh, they have like a food where you can buy food at the, in the store. And we had to go, I think like the people knew who we were. So they'll kind of like sell us stuff like kind of cheaper, and we'll just eat half then, and save it for later, and eat the rest then. We'll do stuff like that to kind of like help us out. Or like if you want, we you, if you didn't want to be hungry all day, you probably wouldn't eat breakfast. You'll go, and you'll probably be starving by lunchtime, so you'll grab a little bit then. You'll grab something, eat like half of the meal, and then when dinner, like you're trying to go to sleep. You probably get whatever's left over, but I was like, "Oh, I really did," and yeah, that was all we could really do. That was just all my biggest thing. Yeah, so that's why when people say that guys, that's why when people say guys come out of JUCO hungry, they're not just saying it. Like it's not just a, it's not just a. Uh, you know, a, a play on words, or it's not just a, an expression. Very often, they are literally hungry. I bet you that these guys you know, yell at you every morning of your life for the rest of your life in order to have a nice meal plan. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely, it was definitely different. I went, what? Uh, I don't know for some reason. I don't know for some reason when I was in school, I always lose a lot of weight. But when I was there, like, like most of the time, I lose at least ten to twenty pounds every time. Like when I go to school and come like come back home, I'd be like ten to twenty pounds lighter. So it was definitely something like, uh, you 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 don't want to experience certain things like that. But I guess certain things like that make you appreciate. The, the little things that you are able to get your hands on. Yes. You mean like a bed and food. Yeah, those are things I bet you appreciate the living daylights out of once you, once you finally have them. Uh, so one more question review before I hop back over. Uh, so tell me about your re-recruitment. Uh, how did you navigate when you were trying to find your four-year and uh, who helped you or what helped you to get through that? Um, uh, I really just did it myself, really. I just, like, contacted, like, when I knew I was going to go uh NAI my last year or my, like, go to NAI at school, I just looked at, like, I just pulled up a list of, like, what's the top 25 schools? And I'm going to email at least 10 of them to, like, I'll email 10 of them to see what they say. And a lot of them got right back got right back to me, like, same, same, uh, 
within an hour, within some of them got within like talked back to me within ten minutes. So like that kind of was my thing. Like I just, I that's all I did was pull up the top twenty five teams, and then emailed them. And then like same thing. Like like I was gonna go. But I went NAI. I went JUCO, and then I went NAI, and then I was gonna try to transfer back up for my senior year to D one. But my I had one year on my clock. So that's what stopped me from going to D1. But I had a school. I'm not going to say the school, but I had a school that I was going to go to. But when I couldn't go there, I had I decided – I looked at D2 schools, and I looked at the top teams, emailed them, talked to who I talked to, sent them D3, talked to who I talked to, top schools. And then I was just like, I'll just stay in AI for my last year. And uh, it was definitely worth it. I mean, I, I wouldn't complain. It was definitely college for me was definitely not your normal college experience that you'd like to have, I guess. Well, your story is you have you have a really really compelling, fascinating story. Uh, I think I think we were just joined by another one of our our guests who just hopped on with us. Another Floridian, I think. Hello? Somebody joined us. Yeah, this is Stefan Sullivan, LSU. Yes, who just who just hopped on with us? Stefan Sullivan, LSU. Ah, oh, Mr. Sullivan, okay. A pleasure, sir. Uh, so I've got a couple of guests. Yes, we've got a couple of other, other guests with us. We're gonna walk through a few things and they're sharing some pretty amazing stories of what they had to get through to get to their uh the end of their, their rainbow, so to speak. I'm going to, so we've got Darius Wade, we've got Randy Holmes. I'm going to hop back over to Darius, and then I'm going to ask you a few questions in a second, uh, Mr. Sullivan. So hang out with me. Okay. So that's fine. So you somehow survived your initial experiences at Boston College. You survived being a special project for a moment of Steve Adazio. Tell me about your next year. What you got through that first year? Uh, so my next year uh, was, was definitely much better. Um, so like I said, freshman year, uh, I ended up using uh, losing my red shirt. Uh, this was pre um, the four game rule that the NCAA has, where you play four and still get your red shirt. Um, so because of that, I ended up uh, burning my red shirt my freshman year because uh, the quarterback that came in, he was a he was a big runner. Uh, he initially held the the ACC rushing record. Uh, until Lamar Jackson came and showed it. But, um, uh, yeah, so he, he was a really good quarterback. But since he ran a lot, they figured that there was a chance he could get hurt. So they are trying to prepare me um, to be able to step in and not have my first game experience be versus Clemson at Clemson at night. And this is the first time I'm slipping on the field ever. Um, so, I mean, it made sense at the time. It's just unfortunate that um, it was kind of a waste because, I mean, he did stay out, which, I mean, I was happy he did. But, um Going into sophomore year after he left, um, really hit that offseason hard and like kind of understood like the nuances of, at that point of college football and like how to approach, how to go about it, how to prepare properly, and how the games look, feel, and like what's necessary to actually be good. Um, so really, I really worked my butt off and got to uh, the season. Uh, came in as a starter and was was raring to go and. Um, we had a solid team. Um, our offense is definitely very young, which is going to be an issue. 
Um, I was a true sophomore at the time, and we had a true sophomore starting running back, um, a freshman, and two sophomore receivers, a sophomore tight end. So we were super, super young. So I knew we'll have some uh, struggles there. Um, but unfortunately, uh, third game of the season, Friday night game versus Florida State, um, I ended up getting sacked and getting hurt. So I pretty much had um, the same injury that Joe Theismann had where his bone came out of his skin. Uh, the only difference is, thankfully, mine did not. Um, so I ended up breaking my oh. fibula um, on my left leg and separating my ankle. And I tore every lig- ligament in my ankle except my Achilles. Um, so uh, after that, uh, the coaches really didn't think I was going to come back the same company. Oh. Previously, that was a career-ending injury. Um, but, I mean, modern medicine and being in Boston, which has great health care, they were able to get me back, back better than ever. Um, but, I mean, I, I, was, I was super disappointed that um, I, I got hurt um, because I felt like even though we were a young offense, we had a chance to, to have a very special year. Um, that season, uh, we finished 3-9. and nine. Um, So I was 2-1 at the time because we beat our first two opponents and then lost to Florida State then I, when I got hurt. Um, but we ended up having the number one defense in the nation that year because um, it was led by uh, Don Brown, who was also considered like a – genius um, on the defensive side and is the D coordinator for uh, Michigan uh, currently. Um, so so that, was, that was definitely unfortunate. Um, and then after that, my junior year, because the recovery process was so long, it was probably about, what was it? it was probably two, two and a half months on crutches. And then it probably took me about seven months to be able to jog. And then about eight, eight months for me to actually be able to run again. So it was definitely a long journey and a, a grueling process of rehab, trying to get myself back together and have myself healed up. Um, but thankfully, I managed to do it. But at that point, because there was uncertainty surrounding me, and clearly, um, after I got hurt, he didn't, such as he didn't see that we had viable backups, and he got a, a transfer from the University of Kentucky, Patrick Tolles, and he ended up being a starter my junior year. Um, so that was unfortunate because I did work my ass off to get yeah. back healthy and I felt like I was ready but he just I mean he wanted like more more or less an insurance policy but I mean the thing is you, you learn that typically when transfers come in they come in for a reason like to play it's not like he's going to leave SEC school just to be a backup no he came there to play and that's exactly what happened so uh, that was definitely unfortunate that I didn't get the chance to kind of rewrite my uh my uh, my career because pretty much after that injury then that was pretty much it for me he just kind of kind of got fell out of favor with the coaches because I mean at that point I was just kind of old and beat up so they just kind of decided to, to move on so Patrick Tolles played my junior year and then my last year I prepared harder than I ever had had in my life and was completely ready to to ball out and do my thing and Instead, they decided to go with the young guy, and um, went with Anthony Brown, who was a young, promising quarterback. So we wanted to start preparing for the future. So they just kind of let me play out my last two years. So that then is what led me to transfer and ultimately end up at uh, Bowling Green, where I am now. Now. Your injury year, did you get that year back retroactively as yeah. a redshirt year? 
Yes, that was because uh, I mean it was before the fourth game, and to sustain a season-ending injury at that yeah, point, that's how that that rule works. So um, that's how I got my medical issue from that. Right, right, and you deserved it. I mean, you should have. I mean, that that rule essentially was created for situations like yours. So I'm glad you got that year back. Um, I have one more quick question for you before I jump over to Mr. Sullivan. So. Everyone talks about the transfer portal has been much discussed. Obviously, you've been, I guess, a, a quote-unquote victim um, in one situation when Patty Ice, as some people called him, uh, showed up at Boston College. And obviously, you've been on the other side of it, where it's created an opportunity for you. For those who are not familiar with the transfer portal, how do you view it as a player, and how did you decide to use it as a player? Uh, so that's a good question. Um, so I only had access to the transfer portal this past year because, um, I mean, it was, it was pretty much a, a fairly new thing. Um, I mean, transferring itself has always been a thing, but the transfer portal, I feel like it's definitely a great tool. Um, it, it's almost like it kind of makes it more like the NFL in terms of, like, free agency, where now there's pretty much this portal that has allowed coaches to access all the major information about these players and kind of reach out and figure out, all right, so we need to tackle, we need a quarterback, we need a running back, and you can just literally go onto the portal and then kind of just select from the list and just see what's available. And that now gives these kids more opportunities because now it's more accessible, and these coaches do utilize the portal and look to see who's available. Um, but, I mean, the transferring situation is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an iffy thing. I know a lot of people uh, have missed, uh, missed uh, like, uh, different type of uh, views of, the, the transferring thing, and a lot of people are definitely against it, but then you have these stories that work out, like the Joe Burrow situation, just to feel the state, so where these people leave and they end up, the grass is green on the other side, and they end up having phenomenal turnarounds in their careers. Um, so, I mean, the, you, can, you can say that there's different, there's a different views about it, but in my situation, being a quarterback, I feel like no matter what, that's always something that has to happen. Um, is transferring because unlike running back a receiver where you have rotations and four, five, six receivers get to play each game, a quarterback, if you're not the starter, you don't play. I mean, sometimes you can be fortunate to at least be like in a package for just running and wildcat type stuff, but traditionally you don't play. And if you have a guy who's the same year as you or a, a team that likes to keep running transfers, because like, I just feel bad for, for Oklahoma quarterbacks because each year they just keep bringing in a new transfer that keeps paying us. So the guys that are actually recruited, they don't even get a chance. So, like, because of that situation, you just you kind of have to leave because you're just not going to play. Um, and if you want to give yourself a chance to play at the next level, then you have to do what's best for you. And especially since um, the reasoning for, like, the portal stuff is because these coaches can leave at the drop of a hat and there's no repercussions for them. But for a player, well, if I leave and I have to sit out a year and I have to go through all these hoops and hurdles, what if my coach just doesn't decide to sign off on it and now I'm stuck here and he pretty much holds me hostage? But like I said, if a coach gets a dick somewhere else and he says, all right, y'all, best of luck to y'all, I'm out. And they can just leave with no issues. So I just feel like they just they hinder a lot of the athletes too much uh, with all these rules and regulations. And then even with the the uh, waiver for immediate eligibility, I feel like they just need to get rid of that. Like, the, the need for even doing that. Because the NCAA, I feel like, has done a, a poor job with being consistent. 
because a situation like a Justin Fields, what was his hardship to get him to play immediately? Nothing. It's the fact that he was the number one quarterback in his class and was going to Ohio State, and people want to see him play. So the NCAA wanted him to play, so that now he can get viewership up and make an impact on the college scene. But then for other people, like I know the story with the guy who was trying to go closer to his mother because she was sick, and they said, oh, well, she's in retrograde. She's coming out of her cancer. She's better now. So you can get your immediate eligibility. So it's things of that nature that is just so iffy and that is for like if you transfer just like a coach it's not like a coach has to be on administrative leave for a year once he goes to a new school he just starts right away and gets to coach and gets to get paid so the the player should be uh, afforded that same right as well especially because your, your career is so finite you only have four to five years to make the most of it and a coach has this 35 career you can look forward to so because our time's so short and you can end up losing a year for transferring and just it's just up in the air. You just don't get it anymore. And that's just really, really kinda of unfortunate. Okay. Well, one, I can tell that you've put a lot of thought into this. So I I thank you so much for the answer. So you mentioned Joe Burrow and obviously uh this is a name that means something to the next person I'm gonna to speak to. Uh, first of all, Mr. Stephen Tomlin, how are you doing, sir? Can you hear me, Stephen? Yeah, hello, how are you doing? Hello? Yeah, can you hear Stephen? Yeah. There we go. Um, well, it's very much a pleasure to have you. So, so thank you so much. I want to begin at the beginning. Tell me about how you got started. Who started you playing sports? Uh, who was it got you active? And what was what were sports did you play when you were a child? Uh, so um, so growing up, uh, I, it was kind of rough or whatever, and um, really didn't have much. And uh, me and my brother, we was always play like um, football outside of our apartment or whatever. And uh, one day uh, a coach rode by and he saw us playing ball. So he pulled over and he asked how old we were. And then we told him we was like six or seven or whatever. But we was big kids. And um, he was like, where's your mom at? And I was like, she's in the house. And then he went and talked to my mom. And then ever since then I started playing football at like six or seven. So, um, Going up, going, growing and stuff. I played football, I played basketball, and like in middle school, I ran track and did did all that. Uh, high school, I played AAU basketball. I really, I really didn't like football because growing when I was a kid, I really didn't like football because I didn't really, I don't know, I just really didn't ever watch it. I always watched basketball and I always used to watch LeBron James, and I always wanted to be like LeBron, so. I always wanted to play basketball, but um, like my freshman year of high school, um, my coach told me that if I, because um, I was I was kind of back and forth from Louisiana and Texas, so eighth grade year I was I was in um, Irving, Texas, playing playing uh, football and basketball for this new middle school or whatever, and then one of my coaches back in Louisiana he told me if I come back to Louisiana I'm gonna be a bit of pick to to go to any university I wanted to. 
I mean, at the time, I didn't know what none of that even meant because my mind wasn't set to even go to college or anything like that. So, um, so I went and uh, like my freshman year of high school, it's like I got the ball like every single play, and um, I started getting some buzz and like uh, my was it, was it my first no my sophomore year. This was during basketball season. It was um, LSU had um, it had a junior day, but I was a sophomore. And uh, one of my teammates was like, um, you need to call Coach Williams, our, our football coach. And I was like, for what? And he was like, just call him. Uh, so I called him, and um, he told me that uh, Les Miles wanted me to come up there for a junior day. So the first thing in my head, I'm like, what am I going to wear? Like, what do I even do there? Because this is my first college visit ever. And, like, and I was completely lost. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so my coach took me up there, like, it was like the next day, actually. Uh, my coach my coach took me up there. Um, they showed us, like, the academics. They showed us, like, the facility, the nutrition, all things like that. And it was it was a long process. And I was – it was all day, and I was ready to go. Like, I told my coach, man, let's go. I'm ready to go. And uh, towards the end of it, uh, one of the recruiting girls, they told me that Coach Miles wanted to see me in um, in his office. And uh, so I was like, okay. So when, he, when I went in there, he asked me, do I want to be an LSU Tiger? And I was like, I, I was like, I said yes. And then he was like, well, congratulations or whatever. So, and then when I walked out the office, uh, all I see is on Twitter that I was committed. So, went from there. And then like, uh, like my junior year, <laughs> after after I got the LSU offer, actually, a lot of people started offering me. That's when Mississippi State came. That's when Auburn came. That's when everybody started to come. And uh. Like, my junior year, I started to get, like, a feel for it and how it's, like, supposed to go because, like, when I committed, I didn't know anything about it. Like, so then I started to get some feel for it or whatever, like, my junior year. So I decommitted and wanted to make sure that that was the right place for me because at the time they had Linda Fournette, they had Darius guys, and, you know, they, all they did was run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and I was playing receiver at the time. So, uh, and Coach Cam Cameron was recruiting me, and, uh, so yeah, I had decommitted or whatever, and uh, I was still open mm-hmm. my options because I was I was I was liking TCU and uh, all TCU do is throw the ball. They throw the ball every single play, and uh, then I had to look at some stats on like who, how many players TCU got in the lead and how many players LSU got in the lead, and the numbers not even comparable, you know, and uh, so. Well, Cameron did a did a hell of a job recruiting me. Um, he became close became close to my family. Uh, he did a lot of things. He came to my first me getting baptized. He came to my basketball game. So he did a hell of a job, and uh, I still got a good relationship with him. So I just ended up going to LSU because it just felt like home, and uh, I had people around me that believed in me or whatever. So uh, yeah, I went from there, and. Uh, Freshman year, and when is as a, I left uh, I left high school early, so I went my mid year, and uh, I started in January, so uh, I get, I came in the spring, um, spring went by, fall 
fall camp, the season came by. I'm, I ain't really playing as much. Uh, who was our coach? Uh, I think it was Damian Craig. And, um, yeah, I wasn't really playing too much. So, uh, Damian yeah, Craig, yep. Yeah, Damian Craig was our coach. So I, I would just get in, like, run plays or anything, like the end of the fourth quarter or whatever. At the time, I felt like I should have redshirted, but I, I thought I was going to play or whatever, but it's whatever. And then so uh, so my sophomore year, uh, that's when Mickey Joseph came in, and that's when uh, – uh, what's his name? Canada came in with the new offense. So, uh, me and Canada had a good relationship. and uh, that's yep. so I, Yeah, I started getting a little bit more playing time. Uh, touching the ball a lot more, getting just sweets and things like that. And uh, so I, that's when I had a little buzz going or whatever, and Coach Sullivan came in at the time too, I think. And then Coach Sullivan came in with Mickey Joseph. I think that was my sophomore year. And then uh, he stayed, Mickey Joseph and Sullivan stayed, like my junior year, I want to say. Uh, I don't know. Who, who was our offensive coordinator in my junior year? I don't know. I don't know who my office coordinator my junior. I think it was, I think that was, I think that was Steve Ainsmere. I want to say. Uh, 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 yeah, I think it was. Yes, Steve. it was Coach Ainsmere. Yes, Steve Ainsmere. Yes, correct. Yeah, it was Steve. That tells you. No, that's what I'm going to stop in just a second. This is the point I believe that Darius is making: is how the coaches come and go, coaches come and go. But the players have to jump through all these hoops that they need to leave. But, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's crazy because, I mean, Coach, that's when my sophomore year, Coach Miles left, new new offensive coordinator. Uh, coach O was a new coach, new new receivers coach. And it's, everything was just brand new. And then the next year, had a new offense, new receiver coach, and everything was just brand new. And then my senior year, new offensive coordinator, I I went through like four offenses my whole career, and uh, yeah, like I was saying, my my junior year, Coach Steve was the Coach Steve was the OC, and uh, Jerry Sullivan was helping him a little bit or whatever. So I mean, we had, we was deep at the wideout position, and uh, so we were, we had like a little rotation going on or whatever, and then uh, yeah. And then come around like my senior year, that's when Coach Brady come in with the new offense, and uh, he wanted me to play tight end, but I really wasn't. I really wasn't. I ain't really like it because I don't know. I just wasn't really into that. And then he was showing me some clips of um, a tight end he had at Penn, and uh, he was getting the ball a lot. And he was he was doing a lot of things with it. So he told me that I can do this. And I could do that, so uh, I bought into it, and uh, I bought into it my senior year, my spring. I bought into it, and then uh, I had got a few touches, and I was doing good actually. And then uh, fall camp, I'm, I'm still playing tight end. Uh, put on weight, I was like two. I want to say I was like two forty. I received, I was like two thirty, and then uh, when I played, when I started playing tight end, I got like two forty. I want to say like two forty two or whatever, and uh. So play play in my uh, fall camp, and then during the season, I played tight end with that. It was like we play, I played maybe like I want to say like four or five games playing tight end, 
and me and Thad had a, like, little rotation going on or whatever. Uh, but then Terrence Marshall got hurt at receiver. And, you know, I'm, I'm a receiver at heart. I'm always I'm, I'm always going to have the receiver skills or whatever. So uh, uh, Coach Brady asked me to go back to play receiver in Terrell. Terrence get back or whatever. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, I ain't asked no questions or anything like that. I was like, all right, cool. So um, I went back and played wide receiver until he got back, and me and Derek Dillon was having a little rotation going on. But uh, when Terrence got back at receiver, I never left to go back to tight end because when I went back to receiver, I lost weight and everything just to get that speed and stuff back, you know. So <clears throat> so me and Derek, when um, me and Derek Dillon, we had a little rotation going on. But when Terrence came back, I never went back to receiver. I mean, I didn't get a lot of playing time. I probably get like maybe like two or three series uh, a game or whatever. And uh, when Terrence came back, so yeah, that 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 ended my senior year. And a uh, good thing that I got invited to the um, Senior Bowl because that's where I show like what I can do at tight end. And uh, thank God that I got invited to the um, to the uh, NFL Combine. So I can show some more. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Well, I don't think people normally – first of all, I'm glad when I get guys who come from very different kinds of programs because it gives you – like some guys are a really stable program. Some guys are programs where, as you said, you have three or four different systems. You've got – and the hard part isn't learning the new system. The hard part is forgetting the old one. Like you right. go here, like everyone has. I'm gonna give a concept that everybody has. POD, right? Post over dig, NCAA concept, whatever you want to call it, right? There might be a right. wheel route on the backside, or sometimes it's a, you know, basic cross or whatever. Just using some little backside route, but it's, you know, a, a, the X runs a post and. You know, the dig is run by sometimes a tight end, sometimes it's run by your 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 Z receiver, but whatever. It's just, everyone has it. But everyone calls it something different. Exactly. Um, when you kept changing offensive systems, did you ever have a time when you were, okay, when you were in the, the huddle, a play's been called, you know the play, but you're thinking it's another play because it's like a play, it's because the name is so much like a play you ran before? Oh, yeah. Most has that ever happened to you? Yeah, most definitely, and uh, that's 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 where well, like it starts to slip Yeah, that's what uh, like what Coach O he always says like a copycat lead. So everything is really sound the same. Right, everything is really the same, but it's it's it's, it's termed different. So when 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 every time we learn the new offense, we will try to like put it in like the the past offense that we had before, if that makes sense, like. Some of the plays would be the same. It would just have a different name, you know. So you really just have to, I don't know, just like try to put them together yep. and try to learn like that. I don't know if that makes sense or not. So. Okay. So so before I move on, and I'm going to ask some more questions to the other guys again, but I want to spend one more. So let's pick an uh, Okay. Tight ends love to run seam routes, right? Okay, so let's take the classic four verticals, right? The, the mm-hmm. tight end runs the seam reader. You got two streak routes on the outside, and the running backs running. One of the running backs running, right? He might be doing like a check release where he's 
in case of the in case of the blitz, he stays in. If not, he runs I don't know an angle route or China or uh, flat route or wheel route or whatever. Whatever. Right. Give me that classic call in the various like that same. But what do you call it in the different systems that you run at LSU? Uh, man, it's hard to remember. Um, we really are called like it'll be like uh like R triple or L triple or L troop, um, something like that. And we'll really just call it like full vert, and that'll that'll, that'll be the whole play, mm-hmm. just full verticals. And then uh and then the, the quarterback. Well, like, well, that keeps it nice and clean and simple. Then, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then uh uh. Um, and then the quarterback attack, whatever the the um the, the the running back has, and then if we if we want like like fast tempo or whatever, we have a um, we have a signal. It's like a like a, a, a dancer. It's called dancer, and then that's just all verse too. And that's that's from Les Miles' offense, dancer. Okay, and we, got it. And we still we still ran that one this year. Okay. Okay. Well, there's no reason. What's the old thing? Don't fix it if it's not broke. Uh, obviously, there's some things that work, and you 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 want to keep those things. It's. I definitely want to ask you some more questions about your offense, about uh, Coach Brady, obviously, and we'll talk a little about about speaking of transfers. We'll talk about. Uh, Joe Burrow a little bit in a moment. I'm going to swing it back around to my first, my previous two guests. I'm going to come back to you, Brandy. Um, you played a lot of different places too. Did you also have that challenge of everyone runs pretty much the same plays, but different tags, different ways of describing them? You know, tell me about learning and forgetting. I guess different offenses that you had to deal with, and how did you do it? Uh, for me, it was. I think just studying the playbook every day was the best thing for me. Like, I definitely think back on plays that I'd learned at previous places. But I think, like, literally every single day before practice, even before games, I just I just kept looking at the playbook, kept looking at the playbook, kept looking at the playbook, just so I wouldn't, uh, like, think about them other players or let one of them other names slip into where it ended up being the same as another player and I ended up messing up. So that was, like, really the biggest thing for me. Uh, or I just keep writing them down somewhere, like just writing in my playbook, going over every play, just so I can remember. Like, okay, these are like the school that I, I'm playing for plays. So I can do my best to forget the other plays. That was just my biggest thing. Okay, I got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna move back over to my quarterback. So you also went through the experience of going from one system in one school to, I don't know, if you can tell me, was it a similar system or a different system or, you know, obviously going to a different institution. Uh, one, what, what was that like? Just the new, different, very different culture. Like Bowling Green is, I, I can't tell you how many, I mean, you could tell me, I guess, how many different ways. I mean, the food is different. The culture is different. The racial Mixture is different. The socioeconomics are wildly different. <laughs> um, everything's different, right? I mean, you've got a Philharmonic Orchestra 
that's world-renowned, very close to one campus, and I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but there is not one near the other campus. Um, paint me the picture of this transition you made. It's almost like coming, I don't think coming to America, but you're like a, like a fish out of water, like a, you know, you're making this very, it's a dramatic shift, I guess, what I'm trying to say, in culture, and then talking about, about the football culture also between Bowling Green and, and BC. Uh, so, so, yeah, like you said, uh, my, my situation is unique. Um, I, I kind of also had a situation with a lot of uh, fluctuation um, with uh, at BC. Uh, so, like I said, freshman year I had uh, Coach Day, and then my sophomore year I had Todd Fitch, who was the OC at La Tech and is now the OC at Vanderbilt. And then my uh, junior and senior year I had um, Coach Leffler, yep. who's the head coach at Bowling Green now. Uh, so I, I definitely uh, had a little flux. Um, the one thing I did realize is, um, just like they said, with it being a yeah. copycat league and everything is the same, uh, not only is that true, but also even though we had different OCs with different backgrounds and different philosophies, um, Coach Adazio was an offensive coach by nature. Uh, when he was down at Florida with Urban Meyer, he started off as the O-line coach and then became the offensive coordinator uh, for the Gators. Um and he was someone who always had his hand in the offense. So when he brought in different people, it was still his offense. So, like, things would still be the same. There would be some different wrinkles in the passing game and some nuances that were added to the running game to add a different element and change things up. But uh, all in all, it was still uh, fairly similar. But, like I said, different terminology. We went from the big verbiage because um, we started off huddle with wristband. So I have, like, a 15-word play call on my wristband out and a single like A5, and I look at the A5 on my wristband and call it out and huddle. Um, and then over time, we transitioned to getting to uh, no huddle. So we ended up doing tempo, no huddle, and we're just getting everything settled in. So when the verbiage changed, everything shut down, everything was different from that perspective um, as you got different offensive coordinators in. Um, and then uh, actually, after Boston College, I actually initially transferred to University of Delaware. Uh, so I actually went down to the SES level and went back home. Um, the situation I felt like just going home just kind of revitalized my career. This is where I started my career, and this is where I can really end it off with the bang. Um, so I got there. Um, I had a bowl game uh, versus Iowa. Transferred in January, went to University of Delaware, and was there for spring ball and everything. And unfortunately, in fall camp, Ended up having uh, a shoulder injury that put me out the season. And I was like, a second medical that allowed me to then transfer again and go to uh, Bowling Green. Um, but yeah, like you said, the posters are definitely different. Um, the first culture shock was going from Boston to Delaware, and that kind of eased the transition from going to Delaware to, to Bowling Green. Um, like, like you said, it is from just a culture standpoint, with in terms of the people that you're around socially. Uh, but then also, like, there was a big coaching change, uh, our coaching culture change, because going from uh, Coach Adazio to then I went to um, uh, to, to Delaware, um, it was, like I said, very, uh, very different because I was there with uh, Coach Rocco, Danny Rocco, and um, his offense was completely different. The way he, like, approached things was, was completely different. And oh, kind of, like, breaking a lot of those. I know him from Liberty. Huh? Yeah, 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 he was at Liberty, yeah. Yeah, no, he's a really good coach. I collect him a lot. Um, it was just a situation where because I got yeah, he's been at Liberty and he was even he was also at Richmond, I believe. 
But yeah, yeah. So, so I was looking Look at you. Okay, you know your coach. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been around a few places. So, but yeah, so like, like I said, there definitely are some differences. And like I said, being a quarterback, I've got to attain a lot of knowledge in a fairly short amount of time and get a process. My only thing going back to uh, Bowling Green was that Coach um, Washington decided to more or less bring the Boston College offense here. Um, so I was fairly familiar with it. The only issue was, so from Boston to Delaware, I had to unlearn Boston's offense and learn a completely new offense. So I practically put Boston's offense out of my memory to do Delaware and then to then end up being back on that scheme again to then have to re-grab all that information and trying to hurry up and stuff and that kind of reminding and learn that. So it was definitely um it was definitely challenging, but I actually enjoyed the challenge. Um, because I know as you were saying earlier, um, the journey of like someone in my situation who could would probably be like an undrafted type of guy that that's your life. Like you bounce from team to team and you're expected to be able to learn a playbook and learn a playbook, learn a new one and just you're bouncing around and you're forced to have to obtain all this information in a short amount of time. Also, uh, by kind of having that experience and having fluctuation with my offensive coordinators and going to different schools and having different philosophies and schemes and schematics and everything, and being around different coaches, different personalities, that it kind of helps prepare you for that transition. For like someone like uh, Josh McCown, who was a, a journeyman of all journeymen, where he's been literally everywhere and had those speaking every single type of offense and every single type of coach. Um, so that ends up being invaluable um, at that level. So. Yeah, I well, and and if I remember correctly, Scott Leffler is one of Tom Brady's best friends, right? Uh, yes. So um, yeah, he tells the story all the time. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like a claim of fame, of course. But yeah, he uh, so Coach Leffler played. He was a quarterback at University of Michigan. He ended up getting a shoulder injury. Uh, I want to say his sophomore year, and then pretty much wasn't able to play. So he just yeah. was practicing like a practice team quarterback. I did. Yeah. But his sophomore, not sophomore, his senior year was, it was either, I think it was his senior year, Tom yeah. Brady was a freshman. Um, so then after his senior year, then he ended up being a GA and then ended up being a quarterback yeah. coach for like Tom Brady his senior year. Yeah, so they still like he went to his wedding and like he like stayed in touch with them on the phone, he text they call yeah. and when Coach Leffler came to Boston and there was numerous times that Brady just came out to Boston to be able to coach Leffler and like go to a facility, work out and stuff and everything like that. So, you know, they are definitely close. Yeah. I remember so the the quarterback room at one point at University of Michigan had Scott Leffler, uh, Brian Greasy, John Navarre, uh, Reisbach, Tom Brady, and a kid named something Gutierrez, who uh, ended up moving to wide receiver, and then eventually transferred out. Matt Gutierrez, something Gutierrez. But I remember, I'm old, so I remember that quarterback room quite well. And it was funny because... At the time, my money was on Scott Drive. Well, you know, we we aren't all geniuses apparently, because um, he was the one that impressed me the most. Like, okay, this guy, you know, greasy. He's smart. Doesn't doesn't have a great arm, but he's a tough guy and smart. Kyle Fox seemed to be like the guy when he was, he could move around. He had a stronger arm. And I noticed Brady, but like Brady, it's funny because Tom Brady, this is a, the guy you've watched. 
is not the guy I watched. I mean, the guy I thought 19 is a different dude altogether from the guy you've been watching. Tom Brady at 19, he was competitive, he was smart, but he didn't have much of an arm. He was not in great physical condition. He has, this guy is one of the few people in America who is a better athlete at 39 than he was at 19. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's in that movie or whatever he's drinking that works. Um, I'm going to jump over to Brandy for just one more second. Cause you, uh, so my, 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 you two guys have a couple more questions for you. And then I have some questions, obviously, for Steven going forward. So, Brandy, because you've been in so many different situations and so many different challenging situations, when you finally find your, your, your final stop in terms of college football, tell me about some of the things you wanted to accomplish. What kind of goals did you set for yourself? And how close do you feel like you got to achieving those goals? Um. For me, it was just, uh, since I had been through so many situations, I just told myself, like, as long as I, like, work hard and just stay consistent, like, I really, I can never really control the outcome, really, of, like, what could really happen during the season. And so I just told myself, as long as I just stay consistent, like, the outcome and everything else, it could take care of itself. So, like, I was happy that I stayed consistent. I was happy that I just continued to work hard. I never really got down on myself. Um, but I was just happy with that. And then it kind of led me to, like, the situation I am now, being able to – I played in two senior bowls. I got to, I got invited to this thing called the National Scouting Combine, which I go to next week. Uh, uh, it was just stuff like that that I was just like, okay, as long as I – keep my head up and stay consistent and stuff like that. However the season goes is how it's going to go, whether I like it or not. So, like, just going into the season, I just said just work hard, stay consistent, and everything else is going to take care of itself. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's right. It's everything else that's to take care of itself. Um, tell me about the goals you set for the for the combine. I mean, you're, you're going to, you know, obviously a, a different combine from, quote, unquote, the combine, but the fact yeah. is you're going to get a chance to be in front of a bunch of scouts and show what you can do. What kind of goals have you set for yourself? What do you want to show them? Just that, that I definitely have the talent to play at the next level. Um, uh, I had a guy, um, I think it's like uh, for some uh, site on Twitter, he did a like a scouting report kind of on me, and he said he felt like I was quick but not fast. So I, I definitely want to be able to show. I know that I'm fast, but I want to be able to actually show something on paper <laughs> that shows that that I actually can run. And uh, I feel like I should have a decent combine, a pretty good combine, and then uh, if I like right now, I don't have a pro day, but I, I did get invited to something that's like a pro day. So and then when that time comes, I want to be able to show, obviously, that my numbers have gotten better. So that's what I want to be able to do. Okay. And um, one last question before I hop back over to 
uh, Stephen and Darius. And once again, thank you all for your patience. So you've learned some things. Obviously, you said you've been through some things. You've seen some things and all that. Um, tell me about a play that you were able to make in your career because of something you learned, right? You weren't just bigger, stronger, faster, but this is like the mental side of the game. This is a play you made because you learned something, maybe about a particular technique, maybe about a certain you know, alignment or leverage or uh, how to set something up. Uh, tell me about how you as a student of the game were able to win, you know, able to make a, a, a big play because of what you know from the mental side. Um, I think probably my favorite play that I had was probably during my freshman year. It was just more of, like stealing releases. Like you just you know just set yourself up for uh, another play that's gonna come in the game. And then for me, it was I think my freshman year. It was early on. I just knew about like stealing releases, being able to win on even if it's a block. I was probably just steal a release and make them chase me down the field. And it was a play where we knew they were going to be in, in man coverage with no safety help. And I I went on a go ball for, like, maybe, like, 40, 50 yards. And I think he dove and tried to grab me, and I ended up dragging him, like, 10 yards, and then I ended up tripping over him. So that was, just like, a play that was, like, it was funny to me because, like, just the little things ended up helping me win. I could make a big play. Uh, late in the game. So. Okay. Got it. I'm going to uh, ask sort of a similar or same question. I mean, obviously, so as you keep saying, uh, Mr. Mr. Sullivan, you're a wide receiver at heart. Well, whatever you are at heart, you know that you're perceived now as a tight end. Let's so when you get to the 240s. Now, what do you weigh right now? You said you got up to 242. What do you weigh now? Now, right now, I'm like 248. Oh, okay. You're definitely a tight end. Okay. Got it. <laughs> okay. So, that you are definitely a tight end. Um, yeah, but and what I'm some people don't always I'm 248, but, um, is that if you are a tight end. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You, I, I'll wait. Yeah, I want to hear what you have to say. Oh, I was just saying, like, I'm 248, but um, people say I still look like I'm 220. So I feel like I probably can hold more weight. So, I mean, it all depends on what teams want me to do. Whoever, if if God let me get drafted, then however that works or whatever. Um, yeah, we'll just go from there if I need to put on weight or if they just want me to be a big receiver or I guess it, it all depends on whatever team that picks me up if if God let that happen or whatever. Well, I mean, you're going to play in the league, and teams have sort of – I mean, there's been a real embrace of the tight end position recently. Now, not every team uses tight ends the same way. You know, some teams like the Eagles – want tight ends that do everything. You know, they have, you know, uh, obviously Zach Ertz, and you see even Travis Kelsey. You see, obviously, George Kittle. None of these guys were first-round draft picks, uh, except, I mean, was Ertz? Maybe Ertz was. But most of them were guys that went in the second, third, fourth. But nonetheless, they are thriving in the league. 
And some teams, you know, basically their tight end is just a big red zone threat. Um, he may right. block a little bit. I mean, Tony Gonzalez was an okay blocker. Gronk was a very good blocker. Uh, you know, and some some teams care a lot about your blocking. You know, so if you can't block, I mean, George Kittle loves to block. I mean, that's one of the things that clearly, I mean, he, he celebrates his blocks sometimes harder than he celebrates his touchdowns. Um, when he puts some safety or some, you know, Mike linebacker or whatever in the dirt, you know, he just gets up, he does flexes, he does WWE stuff and all that stuff, starts, you know, woofing. Um, when you, how do you approach the blocking side of it? Because, I mean, I'm not saying you won't play some. I mean, it will put you out sometimes because you clearly, you know, can still do wide receiver things. But if you're 248 pounds, clearly they're going to you're, – you're going to be seen as a tight end. Let's just establish that. Unless something changes, you're probably going to get your first shot to play at tight end unless, like I said, something changes. How do you approach blocking? And what are the things that have helped you to embrace blocking? Um, yeah, uh, like, I, like I was saying, like me playing tight end, it's like I started like, like my senior year, so it's all kind of new to me, you know, um, blocking-wise, looking at the, the linebackers and, and trying to read with the whole O-line have and which way is the running back going and things like that. So it's all kind of new to me. Um, but, you know, at receiver, I always was just bigger than, than a lot of cornerbacks and safety, so I was just overpowered them or whatever. But uh, with the blocking-wise, um, I feel like I have to get I have to get better at it. Um, like you said, now, like, it's a lot of flexible tight ends in the league. So, um Whatever, whatever team that I go to or whatever, um, hopefully I become that flexible tight end where you can line me up wide or you can um, put me one-on-one matchup with a corner or safety or something like that. Um, hopefully I don't have to do that much blocking, but I'm, I don't have a problem with it if I have to because I, I, I want to learn more about blocking <laughs> and, more, and more technique about it. But um I mean, it's 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 really, it really doesn't matter to me, honestly. Uh, I really just want to play football and just play in the league. I got you. Well, I mean, you don't have to necessarily love to block. I mean, like I said George Hill loves it, and um, and but you do have to do it, obviously. And even at even at wide receiver, obviously you have. I mean, that's one thing. I know, let me just take a moment to say this. One of the things that I want to, people were talking about, you know, Jamar Chase and, and Jordan Jefferson and um, you and Thad Moss and um, who am I forgetting? Uh, God, there's so many receivers. Um, <laughs> Marshall, right, thank you, Barrett Marshall and uh, somebody else. You guys have another receiver who's going to be an NFL player and I just can't remember his name. But a ludicrous number of receivers. <laughs> That's a ludicrous number. But <laughs> whether they're big guys, little guys, I know you all block. Yeah. Every single one of you block. Uh, I mean, I see Jordan Jefferson, who's what, 195, 196 pounds maybe? I see him <laughs> block. I see them put, like, will linebackers on their back. For sure. I'm not going crazy, right? I mean, he's a blocker. He blocks like he 
Yeah, um, when Coach Brady came in, um, that was uh, – Tell me about that. Tell me about the culture that you guys have. Yeah, when Coach Brady came in, man, he he wanted to make sure that um, we took care of the running back and the quarterback just how they take care of us, just how they take care of the receivers, how how the running back blocks just so the quarterback can have time to throw it to the receiver. So um, – and we took pride in that room about blocking. Um, we took pride about putting guys on their back. Um, uh, so we 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 always have like a competition on who had the most knockdowns. Some like the tight ends did that too in their room. And um, when I went to the receiver room, they was they was also competing about who had the most knockdowns that game. So it was just all a competition. And, uh, it was all a competition who had the most balls, who had the most touchdowns, who had the most yards, who had the most knockdowns. We was very competitive in that room, man. Whatever it is, we always want to be better than the next person. So I guess that's that's why they they I guess that's why they they became who they are, you know. And uh, that's why we became out on top because we every single day we would compete every single day, no matter what it is. And um, that's just how we stepped on the field. So Coach Brady, Coach Brady did that actually. He came in with a whole different mentality, and uh, he came in every single day ready to work and ready to compete. So we just we just fed off him. Okay, so I'm a, you know I have to ask. So who ended up with the season lead? Like who led that group in knockdown? Uh, I think it was Justin Jefferson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta give it to him. I mean, I looked at him and I thought, I thought. I mean, you wouldn't think that that'd be the guy, but man, is he. He is an aggressive dude for a guy who's built like him. Yeah. Sure. Terrence Marshall, he ain't really a little bit of, you know, a little bit of mean to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had some guys that didn't really, didn't really <laughs> like to get their hands. Didn't like to get their hands. Oh, uh, well, George Kelly did it. See, that was your, that was your off scholarship. You could say what, you could say the truth. Um, it, it's interesting to see, and, and Tate, of course, Tate never lies. You can tell the guys who just want to get in the way and then, you know, get out of the way versus, I mean, like I said, I bet Jordan Jefferson probably had about, what, 15, 20 knockdowns last year? Yeah, I'm not sure. He had, he had a couple, though. But, yeah, for sure, you can tell who who just getting away and who just trying to get in the way for a split second so the running back can get get off your butt or whatever, but and you could tell the guys that really want to block and really trying to put you on your back. Right. Yeah, we well, had a couple of guys that really impressed me with the blocking. So while we talk about the touchdowns and the yards, and there's an impressive bunch of, I mean, all you guys are impressive. Um, now, speaking of, we talk about transfers. Everyone talks about Joe Burrow, but before we move on to him, I have to ask you about him, but i got to ask you about the other big-time transfer, Obviously, Thaddeus Moss, uh, son of a Hall of Famer, Tennessee State. When he comes into your room, what's your first notice about him, and how close do the two of you end up becoming? Uh, when, when he came, when he first came in, I wasn't I wasn't playing um, tight end. I was playing uh, I was playing receiver. And when he first came in, I think he got hurt for that year or whatever. And uh, he ended up right. yeah, he ended up red shirt or whatever. So nobody really knew. 
what he can do and what he was about. So, um, so I guess when he when he started playing or whatever, um, it showed. And uh, he was he's a smart guy. He's a competitive, and uh, he 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 always come to work uh, ready to go. And uh, yeah, he he felt like he had a chip on his shoulder. He he didn't want to be. He didn't want to be the next Randy Moss, you know. He didn't want people to think of him and think of his dad. He wanted people to think of that is Moss and only that is Moss, you know. And uh, so he just he just had I felt like he just had a chip on his shoulder and he just had something to prove. And I feel like he did a great job of it. He certainly improved. It seemed like every, not just every game, but every rep, it seemed to become, he's become a better and better player. Um, that's, he's an interesting young man. I will say that much. Uh, we'll see what the future holds for him. Now, I, before, I, I swear this is the last, I might ask once about this, but I have to. So the other big-time transfer is obviously the guy who's likely to be the first player taken in the next draft, the Heisman Trophy winner, the most, probably the most well-known college football player in the country. Uh, which is a fascinating story because, once again, he's a guy who couldn't crack the starting lineup. We had Darius you know, tell us about his struggles to crack the starting lineup and then he finally gets it and he gets hurt. Things happen. It's not always right. about talent. It's often about opportunity. If he stays at Ohio State, do we ever hear about it? Do we ever know who this guy is? How crazy is that? That yeah, if I'm he doesn't sure. transfer, we may never have found out who he really was. Right. Yeah, How crazy is that? Yeah, I, feel like it's, I mean, it's just like it is a mind box. Yeah, I feel like that goes on like everywhere. Like I feel like there's hidden talent all over the world, man. I feel like it's just that one kid that just that just need an opportunity. I just need that transfer spot just to just to open some eyes. You know, once once he once that kid opens some eyes, then it, it just the sky's the limit. And uh. I mean, that's just—I don't know. I just feel like that's all over the place. Um, so yeah, it, I feel like that's—it's just that one kid. You know, you just never know who that one kid is. So in uh, when Joe transferred, um, that really really changed his whole life, and he really changed his whole life in a year. And it's, it's crazy, like, cause like you said, if you would have stayed at Ohio State, like nobody probably would have never heard of this kid, you know. And um, so I guess it was—it was a wonderful decision of him transferring. It, it worked out. For him and his family, so I think he's going to do great things in the NFL. So he's a smart dude. Yeah, it worked out for him and his family. It worked out for you and your family. It worked out for Thaddeus and his family. It worked out <laughs> for uh, Justin and his. Like, there's this ripple effect. Because. Yeah. I mean, some of those guys would have had great careers anyway, no matter what, and some of those guys would have probably declared or whatever, but not all of them. A bunch of those guys went from being mid-round prospects to top 100, first-round prospects, at least in part because of Joe Burrow. Sure. It's crazy to think that this one thing, one decision made by one young man changed everything at LSU. What if he transfers to a different school? You know what I mean? Like, if he goes to Cal, who knows what happens? If he goes to, right, uh, if he goes to Ohio U, he considered at one point Ohio U, which, you know, now seems unthinkable, but he was thinking about it at one point. Like, there's all these things that, like, this one, it's, that tells you how important 
relationships are. Because the relationship that Coach Bergeron was able to build in that famous, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, crawfish, right, the whole crawfish bucket, the crawfish bucket meeting, that relationship they were able to build, and it has to happen fast because, once again, the way that things work with transferring, you don't have all the time you have with high school recruitment where you guys can slowly build a relationship. You've got to do it like that. It's exactly. what, like, what do they call it? Uh, married at a glance or whatever. That, I, can't, there's some, I don't know what that show is called. It's not married at first sight. It's like, right? You've got to fall in love quick. <laughs> you don't have time. Then you get yeah. off of one or two days. Um, yeah. I'm going to jump over back to my quarterback. This seems like a great time to do it. Um, Darius, you seem like a, a student of the game, obviously, like most quarterbacks are. I'm assuming you've watched Joe Burrow uh, also, correct? Yes, yeah, of course I have. Right, I mean, I don't like to assume, but okay. We, we, I'm assuming like most quarterbacks, you look at other quarterbacks and you think about things that you can learn or things you can take or things you notice. When you look at him, what do you notice about him? What do you think makes him so special? Uh, that is a good question. Um, I think pretty much one of the biggest things with quarterbacks um, that either makes them great or not, uh, first part is that it factor. Um, that it factor is more or less just that competitive nature. Um, and at the quarterback position, you have to have it. You have to have a fire um, in you that pretty much forces you to refuse to lose. Like, I mean, one of the most infamous people that has that is like Tom Brady that he is a sheer competitor and he doesn't let anything stop him. It doesn't matter how big the deficit. He instills faith and confidence in all of his teammates that they could be down 21 in the fourth. Oh, well, we're fine. We got Tom Brady. He's going to bring us back and we're going to win. And that's something that Joe Burrow this season was able to create and show at a very high level against extremely good competition. Um, so that's one part of it. And I think the other part and the biggest part, the reason why he can be playing for a very long time, is his consistency, the fact that as a quarterback, your job is to throw the ball and get it to your playmakers. And for him to do it with such a high completion percentage, meaning he was very consistent that not only was his receivers making plays for him, but he was putting the balls in spots for them to be able to make plays with it. So the fact that he was very accurate and consistently hitting his target, that makes the job of everyone else easier, allows them to elevate their game because now – they can get that run after the catch. Now they can show up their, their athleticism to make some moves and take that big 60-yard touchdown because of the placement of the pass. Because they always say good, accurate passes equal yards after catch. So, I mean, the fact that he was able to do that at such a high level, and like I said, in the face of pressure and things of that nature, that's, that's definitely um, something that I definitely took note of. Because um, you see with some of the different quarterbacks, I know, um, who is it? Uh... I think it was the, the quarterback uh, out at Washington, uh, Jacob Eason. They were saying that he is um, like going to be a drafted quarterback, and he's a really good quarterback and everything. Oh, however, yeah, however, they said the one like downfall is that his uh, QBR rating or whatever versus pressure is abysmal, but it's not very good. And in the NFL, they're, they're that, those defenses are going to send them after you. So to be able to withstand that pressure, have the poise to stand in there, and make all those throws and be accurate regardless of if people are coming after you or not. Um, that's, that's definitely something that these college or these um, NFL scouts and coaches are looking for. And Joe Brown showed that he can, he can do that without a doubt. 
Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you about beating pressure because um, I'll just ask you flat out. How, exactly how big are you, Darius? I mean, like your actual height weight. Uh, 6'1", 218. Okay. So, I mean, you're not tiny by any stretch of the imagination, but you're not enormous. You're not huge. A lot of times, <clears throat> teams like to knock quarterbacks. Well, teams like to knock quarterbacks wrong, no matter what, but especially when they think a quarterback is a little smaller. Tell me about uh, a play that you've made when pressure was coming and you beat the blitz, you beat the pressure, and tell me how you did it. Mm, let's see, let's see. Um, there, there's been uh, multiple instances of that. Um, in order to beat pressure, uh, one of the biggest things as a quarterback you have to do is, first off, you have to have faith uh, in your fundamentals. Um, so knowing that even though you have a free rusher, that you still need to take your, your three-step drop to have rhythm and time and don't rush it, don't just try and get it out because the pressure sells you. So you have to trust your fundamentals and let that take you home, um, as well as trusting your film study. That a lot of times in those situations when you have pressure, you have to anticipate most times the receivers or whatever aren't completely done their route. So now you have to know just through repetition and through film study that since they're in their cover two and that their safety decides to get a little bit more depth before it gets his width, there's a, a little pocket within this area. And that's if you have a go ball and you're going to hit your hole shot, then now you just have to throw with anticipation to that spot and let him make that play. Um, so there's like um, a time where the critical fourth down this past season and we had a screen call, and um, one side we had the, uh, the, uh, the pop screen to the receiver to the left, and then on the right side we had a double slant concept. So the double slant concept is for, like, if you have man coverage, because if you have press man, uh, a little tunnel or a little pop screen, it ain't going to work because they're going to be right on them and just tackle them immediately. Uh, so we have our man beater side for that reason. So the situation where there was fourth down and like seven, they brought an all-out blitz. So I knew that since we had man uh, cover zero, that I need to work the uh, the slant side. So just the fact of went through my footwork, still looked off uh, to the left just to kind of make them honest, and then st stood in there, still made the uh, the slant throw accurately while getting hit by two people right in the chin, which definitely did hurt. But that comes with the territory. As a quarterback, you know you're going to get hit, and what feels worse? than getting hit and having an incompletion or interception or getting hit and still completing it and moving the ball. So at the end of the day, you're, you're going to get hit, you're going to take your licks, but you have to be able to have the poise and the wherewithal to be able to stand in there, take that punishment and just move forward and keep trying to make plays. And that's something that typically uh, garners a lot of respect from your coaches as well as your teammates when they see that you're willing to put your body on the line for the team and try and find a way to win. Excellent. One last thing before I jump back to Brandy. Um, when you are, I mean, you obviously had, you said, a devastating injury, right? A, a um, you know, an ex uh, a compound fracture is bad. I don't I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like, it's a, it is a scary injury. It's a scary injury to watch. I can't even imagine what it's like to experience. Um, how long did it take you to be able to play freely again, not have that in your mind at all when you took the field? How long was it until you felt normal, I guess, 
for lack of a way of putting it, when you went back to play again? I'd probably say it was about probably about a, almost a full year, probably like 11 months, because I got hurt in the beginning of September, so it wasn't until like pretty much the end of camp in August the following year that I finally like I wasn't super concerned about because like before I had to wear, I'll have my ankle taped, I'll have uh, ankle uh, wrap on it too, as well as like spat my, my cleat and everything. So like I was super cautious and like super concerned because like any little thing I felt like it hurt it. Just like if you just roll your ankle, just walking, like that would like hurt it tremendously. So like it was just anytime you have a, a big injury like that, you always just kind of get really hesitant. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people can't recover from. Some people always will just know about that and just kind of that lingers in the back of their head, so that now they're tentative and cautious. Um, but, yeah, probably around that time, heading into the season, I finally felt the confidence and felt the strength and stability to, to be able to just trust it. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you can get hurt at any point. So, I mean, like I said, if it's, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. But, like I said, I did everything preventative-wise and um, recovery-wise to get back to full strength. And, I mean, I felt like I was able to get right back to where I was and just through my hard work and um, uh, resilience, was able to get back, get faster, get stronger, and then make it as though nothing even happened and was able to go forward from there. I mean, that's what you can do on an injury. I mean, it was like an example with uh, Adrian Peterson when he tore his ACL and then came back faster than anyone's ever came back and then was just completely phenomenal and came back even better than when before he had the knee. So, like, how does that happen? But it's just some people have that ability to just push through that and turn that negative into a positive and use that to then hit hit the grind even harder to find a way to come out of it stronger and better than they went into it. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, Adrian Peterson is a freak of nature. There's simply no oh, way to put it. And, yes, he went on a revenge tour when he came back from that ACL. I it was ludicrous what he was doing. Like, it, how is this possible? And, I mean, he was personal, man. He was running over people with anger and viciousness. He was, I mean, there were, I saw guys who decided they didn't want it. I'm not even going to lie. I mean, these are professionals and they've got pride, but some guys you tell, uh, I'm not so sure I'm feeling like taking on Adrian Peterson right now. I mean, especially that, I mean, if you're a defensive back, it's the fourth quarter, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Adrian Peterson, he's a Hall of Famer. He seems mad about something. I don't know if it's me. <laughs> did I do something? But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an effort. I'm going to get down there somewhere around his ankle area and dive. And if he trips over me, you know, whatever, that's fine. If he doesn't, that's fine, too. I, I, I'm not saying I understand it because I wasn't very talented, but I, always, I was willing to pretty much die to try to make a play. Oh, because that's just how I was. I didn't have a talent. I had to play like I was. I had to, I had to give everything I had because I didn't have much to give. But you can tell that some guys are like, mm, I'm not so sure about tackling Adrian Peterson right now, today. Mm, maybe next time. Um, it's like what he said about how some wide receivers are about blocking. Like, uh, I mean, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to be where he tells me to be. I mean, maybe something will happen. He won't. He won't be able to get past me. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe not. We'll see. But I'm. A, I'll be there. I'm not gonna not be there. But I'm not about to like 
you know, tuck my tail, drive my eyes, try to put my face back in his chest. I mean, I'm not a guard. Come on, people, look at me. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I get it. Uh, Adrian Peterson, oh, man. Um, so rehab, for those who've never been through rehab, uh, knock on whatever you need to knock on. Uh, I don't think people understand. That's the last, and I'll move on from you after this, but I've got to talk about rehab. It is lonely. Like, I, I think that's the thing that why some guys don't come back from it. It's just the sense of isolation. Like, if, if you had a buddy or a something, like a, a little, I don't know, a little somebody you can keep in your pocket and look down and say, hey, and they'd be like, hey, you can do it, it's fine. You know, something, like something that drives you. I'll never forget when um, when Mr. Connor, right? I mean, he's, James Connor is recovering mm-hmm. from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He used to do all of his normal cancer stuff, and then he would show up at practice, though he was told not to. He'd show up at <laughs> practice, and he'd have to wear, because his um, treatment would knock down his, his immune system, and he'd show up with, like, a surgical mask and, like, scrubs, and, like, he'd have all this stuff on so he wouldn't catch, you know, whatever. Uh, and he would still be there. He would go in the weight room and work out, and he's like, are you supposed to be here? Aren't you getting chemo? He's like, yeah, don't tell anybody. Um, because the loneliness, so for, for those who don't understand life to have to rehab from a serious injury, uh, tell them, Darius, what it's like and what kept you going. Um, well, like I said, at, at that point of the injury, I was the starting quarterback, and like throughout my rehab time, there's just a situation where, like I said, I was, we went 3-9 that year, so it was a really, really poor year. And at the onset of the injury, like, everyone kept telling me, like, oh, like, dang, like, this sucks. I mean, if you were still playing, like, the season wouldn't be like this. Like, things would be better. And, like, initially, like, that's that's comforting. And, like, you, it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself that people realize your ability and realize the impact that you can create. But as time progresses, you just keep hearing that, that then becomes, like, angering because then you realize, well, you're right, but I can't do anything. I'm stuck over here on crutches on the sideline, unable to help my teammates when they need me. Like, we're going through a tough time, and they need me to be out there to help right this ship and, and get us back in the right direction. And that just kind of, like, gave a fire to me because I wanted to be back. I wanted to be able to help them. I wanted to be with the guys because, like, going through camp and everything and just being with them all the time to now – like you said, being isolated where now everyone's at workouts, but I'm in the, treat, the training room getting treatment. Everyone's at meetings. I'm in the training room getting treatment. And, like, I'm just not, like, I felt like I was kind of, like you said, like, removed from the team because of my injury. I couldn't do the same things everyone else could do. And, like, that was just maddening to me. And, yeah, like you said, you want to, like, kind of be around your guys and, like, still be around football, like you said with James Conner, where you're not, like, alone because, like you said, all I mean, it's just you and the trainers pretty much. And, I mean, some trainers are more comforting and more so there for you where they're like that person in your pocket saying, hey, you can do it, just keep working, keep working. But others, I mean, it's just their job. They just tell you what to do, you do it or you don't. You get better, you'll get better eventually. And, like, they're not as, like, kind of passionate and, like, more so comforting about the whole process. But, I mean, I had a a good support system, a good group of people that kind of helped me through um, to get to where – um, I need to go, and also kind of had a partner pretty much because uh, I think the game after versus NIU, um, John Hilleman at the time, our starting running back, broke his foot. 
So the week after I got broke my ankle, he broke his foot. And so because of that, he went through. But, yeah. Yeah, so we went through that whole rehab process together. So, like, having someone else out there kind of going through the same thing as, not necessarily the same thing, but still going through a, a injury where he needed surgery, he's out for the season, he's on crutches just like me. It's kind of having somewhere just like a, a, a direct support system is going through the same thing as you that, like, helps make it a little bit easier because you you know now you aren't alone, that there is someone else that this happened to. It's not like where you get the whole question, why me? Why does this only have to happen to me? Like, this can happen to anybody, and you can clearly see it in someone else it happened to, and now we both have to find a way to get through this together. So that definitely helped a lot. And then also just my, my love for the game, just kind of being torn away from football and not being able to play that whole year, it's just, it hurts just to just sit there and just not be able to participate and just, like, envisioning yourself being out there and making plays, but you can't. So you just drive yourself and push yourself to get back to the point where you can be on the field making a contribution. Got it. Uh, I now have a question for Brandy and then a question for Steven. So, Brandy, tell me about the things you're doing to prepare, uh, physically, obviously. And what are you doing to prepare for, I mean, I'll be very honest with you, you need to make an impact on special teams, right? Um, wherever you end up, you're going to be asked to play special By asked, I mean you're going to have to play special teams. And so tell me a little bit about that, about your preparation to become a special teams asset, because that's what's going to allow you to play uh, or just hang around wherever it is while you get to show them what you can do, you know, in terms of other things. But first and foremost, you need to be a special teams asset. So tell me a little bit about that, and then what are you doing to prepare for your uh, combine and, and then hopefully a pro day experience. Uh, as far as special teams, I'm I'm willing to do whatever to test the field. So they need me to run down on kickoff, block on kick return, run down on punt. I mean, I'm just willing to do whatever. I'm not one of them players that's like, oh no, I don't want to do this. I, I mean, I'm gonna do whatever to make sure that I can touch the field so that I can eventually start playing. Or just land myself on a team and then work my way into uh, playing or whatever. But if I have to start on special teams, which I obviously will, I'm not, I'm fine with that. I don't, I'm never one, I was never one of them players that complained about stuff like that. Uh, I'm willing to do whatever to help the team win. Because special teams end up helping uh, teams win games. It, it, it definitely does play its part in games. So I'm just willing to do whatever on that end, and then. As far as uh, right now, I'm doing speed training with um, uh, an old track coach who, who I told you that I ran with in high school, was very well known. So uh, he's helping me with my 40 and stuff like that. And then I just lift on my own and do um, – I train on my own other than that, really do my own drills and stuff that I think that I need to perfect or at least get better at so when it's time to – Step in front of go to the combine and the pro day and stuff like that. I feel like I should definitely be fine and I should definitely be able to show something and hope somebody to catch my eye. Or I catch somebody's eye. Okay. And right. And what's the actual factuals in terms of your height, your current height and current weight? Uh, I'm five eleven. Um, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, I got into the season, I was 210. 
Right now, I'm probably like 185, 190. Like, so I should be. I usually I'm around 190, 195, but I don't know. Some reason I've down. I'm I'm a little down on weight, but I should be fine. Okay. And what do you think you're gonna run when it comes time to be timed? Should be in the four fours, uh, four four range. Uh, I'm not saying I couldn't run a four three. If I do it, okay. I wouldn't be surprised because I, I definitely feel like I have that gear. But I know for a fact I should be in the four fours. Whether it's high or low, should definitely be in the four fours. Okay. <clears throat> gotcha. <clears throat> okay. Well, that, that, that will always, I mean, speed is the thing that, like I say, I mean, you can't, you can't teach it, which isn't entirely true. I mean, you can, if you can learn better technique, you can learn to increase your speed. Obviously, um, genetics slash the good Lord may decide how much speed potential you have, but how close you get to achieving that speed potential does come down to your work and technique and things like that. Okay, so same question for you, Mr. Sullivan. Uh, you said you're 248, and what did you measure in at, at in terms of height at the Senior Bowl? What did I measure at the Senior Bowl height? Height, yep. Oh, uh, what is it? I think it was 6'5". But everywhere else, I was 6'6", six, six, so probably measure at 6'5". At That's your legitimate Huh? Oh, well. Okay. Say it again? So are you legitimately six foot five? No, I'm six six. You said you are legitimately six foot five. No, six six. Wait a second, hold on. They had me they had so, me six five at the senior bowl. But you are legitimately else, six foot six. You are actually six foot six. Yeah, but everywhere else they had at the senior bowl, they had me at 6'5", but everywhere else, uh-huh. when I hide it, it was 6'6". Six, six. Huh. Okay. So, um, I wonder how that works. <laughs> okay, yeah, I got um, it. So, you are 6'6". Six six. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're a very large... You're a very large target. Um, uh, quarterbacks love six foot six guys who can run. Uh, speaking of running, what, um, I, where are you training and where are you preparing for your combine experience? Uh, I'm training at um, Exos in San Diego. Oh, okay. Very well known facility. Um, and what are some of the things you're working on there? Um, speed, obviously, uh, and just getting, um, just getting stronger for that, uh, for the bench. I'm not going to bench at, um, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm going to bench at the combine yet. Um, I have to talk with my agent to see if he, if he want me to. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really the main thing. If not, if I'm not going to, if I'm don't bench there, I'm going to, I'm going to bench at pro day for sure. Okay. What's your goal? Uh, what are you What are you hoping to do at two twenty five? 
uh, I want to be a faster tight end. I want to be, I want to jump the highs. I want to, <laughs> I want to broad jump the farthest. You know, I, I want to be the, the best tight end. I, I want to shock a lot of people. Oh. I'm going. I'm going to be the fastest tight end. Okay, I'm excited now. Okay, okay. All right. Okay. Well, that's I'm great. Sorry, longest. Harrison Bryant. Uh, I'm have the longest wing. Bad news, Adam Trotman. Uh <laughs> Really? Yeah, my wingspan is like seven okay. one. How how wide are you? I mean, how how, how broad your wingspan? Like seven one. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I, I will be I – mean, I would have been watching anyway, but I'm going to watch your testing with a special level of, of interest now because I think people would not be expecting you to be the top testing tight end at, at the combine. That is – you're correct. That is not what people are expecting. Well, not the buzz surrounding you. Um, obviously, you're a former receiver. People think you're going to run fast, but they don't think you're going to be the top testing tight end in the whole shebang of that. Right. I am. That's, so that's interesting. I'm excited. Um, and then once you once you have, okay. okay, and once you had a chance to get stronger, what do you think you might do on the bench? Because obviously, I know you're still making the transition from receiver. Uh, I want to hit like twenty, twenty. Anything above that is just extra, but I want to get like 20, at least 20 or 18, 19 for sure. Okay. What's the most you've ever done so far? Uh, 12. Okay. So you have very long arms, which obviously is a disadvantage. It's an advantage in lots of things, but disadvantage comes to bench press test. And once again, I know you're just making the transition over from you know from playing wide receiver. But I will be watching, like I said, with intense interest. Um, and obviously, people don't think about quarterbacks as athletes. Well, now I think they're beginning to think of quarterbacks as athletes. Um, they are not all six foot five statues anymore. So I, I'm going to have to ask my my you know, tough guy quarterback who's come back from some pretty scary stuff about his, obviously all that rehab, he probably got stronger. Uh, so tell me about your preparation. What are you doing and where are you doing it, Darius, to get ready for your pro day and where, where will you be having your pro day? Uh, so for me, uh, I'm in a situation where, of course, not being a uh, high-value uh, guy uh, as of right now, um, I know because I, I did manage to get an agent, but I know uh, in most situations, a lot of the agents I talk to aren't really willing to kind of get me to one of those fifteen, sixteen thousand dollar facilities. Because uh, I mean, those are typically for the guys uh, such as Steven who are going to the NFL Combine and things of that nature. Um, but so currently, I uh, felt the best situation is um, I'm still in school right now, finishing up my uh, last my spring semester here at Bowling Green. Um, so. I decided to just work out here. Um, there's a facility out um, not too far from me um, that I've been going to to get uh, some speed work in um, and just kind of working on my, my testing aspects. And um, as you said, I mean, I know that the testing is important, especially it's getting more important now as you're continually uh, increasing the athleticism of these quarterbacks. 
So the averages are, are definitely uh, going up. So we're now the average 40, probably back in the day, was probably like a 4849. I was like, oh, yeah, ECA, perfect, that's fine, works for me. Uh, but nowadays it's going further and further and further down. Um, so it's just a situation where, like I said, I'm just trying to uh, prepare as best I can uh, with, within uh, my uh, circumstances. And um, like I said, still looking at the big, big picture, and I know that, um, like I said, education is an important thing. And like I said, I, I could have opted to just not come back for the spring and just work out, but I felt like I, I want to really prepare myself as best as possible for my future, whatever that may be. So I wanted to try to accomplish both, which I know can be a, a tall task, but I feel like I'm, I'm definitely up for the challenge and, and been, been working hard. And if I, if I might ask, what was your degree? What was that degree then? Um, so, first of all, I have a lot. Um, so I have my undergrad from Boston College and business administration with a concentration in marketing. Um, then I was five classes away from having my master's from mm -hmm. Boston College in leadership with a concentration in executive leadership. But because I decided to transfer, um, uh, my coach suggested that I not stay for the spring and go so I can actually, like, play. Um, so that's the reason why I enrolled in the spring at Delaware. Um, I then ended up receiving a master's from Delaware in uh, international business, um, and this would be the second master's I complete here at Bowling Green in sports administration. And then I'll probably eventually go back to Boston and finish that one, so I'll have three master's degrees in my bachelor's. <laughs> All right. Slacker. Um, <laughs> I, that is, you have, I, I have had two things happen during the show that I've never heard before. Okay, so I've had guys who've had their masters before. I've had guys who had worked on a second masters but had stopped to work on combine prep or whatever. I've never had someone who's finishing a second masters and still have the opportunity to finish a third. So that would be a first. And I've been doing this for a while. Uh, that's. <laughs> Crazy nuts. Uh, so I don't know what, what, what that's about. But congratulations. Like, keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you. What do you want to do with all that when you're finally done playing football, young man? That is a great question. Um, so I'm in a situation where I'm not necessarily sure exactly what I want to do. I know, eventually, I know eventually I want to own my own company. Um, I mean, being in a situation where I've always been a player, a, a son, a younger brother, I've always been in a position where I've, I've never really been in that position of authority where I can command and direct people. And I just feel like from being a quarterback uh, for so long and uh, developing my leadership qualities that I can be in a situation where I can enter into the business world and uh, definitely be successful at it. Um, so I've just kind of been using my educational background just to really just expand my knowledge and kind of grasp a lot of different concepts so I can be as well-rounded as possible um, so that I can then uh, be effective because I know a lot of people start businesses, but a lot of people aren't successful with them and they fail. And me, with my competitive nature, I'm not someone who likes to fail and lose at anything. So I don't want this to be any different. So uh, that's the ultimate goal, but I feel like um, if football does not pan out, then my next transition will actually be the military. Um, so I'll actually go in as an officer uh, to the Air Force, uh, do my four years, serve my country, uh, get in a position where I can really just kind of add that last 
little snippet to my my resume, and then from that point, then transition into the the real world and um, take it by storm. Okay. Now, if, if you don't mind me asking, what was it that got you interested in the Air Force? So when I was at Delaware and I got hurt in the beginning of the year, I was pretty much told that I wouldn't be able to play football anymore. Um, because of that diagnosis, I was then slapped in the face with the reality of, well, now what am I about to do? Um, I know a lot of people have that um, a situation where that transitional period is definitely very challenging for athletes. Um, throughout your whole life and career, you've always been associated and considered a football player. Like, that's who you are. So to kind of have that ripped away from you, that then forces you to figure out, well, what else can I do? What else do I like to do? What else am I passionate about? So because of that, I use that time, I really do a lot of self-reflection and kind of just look deeper into myself to figure out what it is I want to do and what do I want to accomplish um, with my life going forward. Um, and I just felt like since I don't really know exactly what I want to do, like for my business and everything of that nature, that going the military route would be the most beneficial way to kind of catapult myself into a position to do so. Because, I mean, going in as an officer, I think the starting salary is like 74000 um a year. That's much more than most jobs you'll get right out of college. So that's already a, um, a step in the right direction. Um, also, just the fact that the military has so many uh, direct similarities to uh, athletics, especially at the college level, in terms of the, the sense of camaraderie, uh, the leadership involved, mm -hmm. the uh, physical and mental strain that you're put under, um, and just kind of that brotherhood bond that you develop with your football teammates. You have that same thing within the military. So I felt like because it still has some similarities, that that's something that I would be, I would like to do and that can really kind of help develop me because even though I, I feel like I am a good leader, I know that the military is known for creating some of the best leaders and I feel like having them kind of mold me into that um, that man that can really lead men, then that would be perfect for them be becoming a business owner later down the line. Okay. Uh, well, you may also know this. Um, uh, someone I'm, I'm at least somewhat friendly with is a man named Ted Sunquist, who was a fullback at the Air Force Academy, but uh, later went on to be the, become the general manager of the uh, of the Denver Broncos. Here's uh, what I will say. Now, obviously, I would have preferred you said Army because I'm an Army vet, but there's nothing wrong with the Force, no matter what anyone tells you. Uh, I I certainly I, I think you'll succeed. I think you'll succeed no matter where you go, no matter what you do. You seem to have a lot of very impressive qualities. Uh, when you are ready to start your business, please let me know. Uh, hopefully it will be, you know, not for a while. I hope you get a chance to do some things in and around football. I think if you ever decided to go into the analysis of the game, I think you would do very, very well if you ever decided that you wanted to talk about football for a living. I think people would snap you right up. If you wanted to start someday a business, that dealt with helping players to make the transition from playing to finding other things, uh, where they'd have mm. support from people that are human resources professionals, where they'd have leadership training, especially if you're a military veteran. And if you wanted to also bring into that people from the world of broadcasting, I've taught broadcasting, I know a lot of broadcasters, where you were going to basically have a 
a wraparound is the term he was used, wraparound services for former football players. Not only that guys coming from the, from the NFL, because the NFLPA does a pretty decent job, but guys who maybe ended up playing at a different level. Maybe guys are coming back from playing in arena or playing CFL or coming, or just guys who just are trying to make transition from trying to play professionally, you know, played in college and it didn't pan out, but they didn't have that plan B. Somebody who would say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you get your first job in the quote-unquote real world. We're going to help you do this and help you do that. And we're going to ask two things of you. One, when we do get you placed, you know, we're going to get a fee from the place where we place you. So you don't have to pay us. We're getting paid by your future employer, just like other places in the But we are going to ask you for the names of some people because, because referrals, are, there's nothing better than referrals. So it's going to cost you five names and working your butt off to make this transition to the next, you know, to your next life that you We'll talk more later off here. Um, but it is very much, very much, like I said, I think you're an impressive young man. I think the success on and off the field is HQ. Um, before I forget, Mr. Sullivan, you are going to the real combine, right? The, the one that everyone watches on television, the big one, the one where John Lott yells at you. The one where um, when you are, if you do decide to bench press, uh, the one where you get to run through gauntlet drills, the one where people get to decide if you're good or not based on one drill they don't really understand watching you do. Uh, the one where you get to talk to uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Charles Davis and you see Mike Mock, but now he's busy doing something else. Uh, and uh, Andrew and I guess Dion shows up for the defensive backs, and I guess Terrell Davis still shows up for the running backs, maybe. Um, and Kurt Warner shows up for the quarterbacks, I guess. They don't have anybody special for the tight ends yet. Maybe Greg Olson will be that guy one day. But um, what do you expect it? Like, do you have, I'm, I'm assuming you have friends and former teammates that have told you about the combine. Uh, what are they told you to expect? Um, I, really, I really haven't really talked to anybody about it. Um, but when I went into the senior bowl, they was they was kind of like telling us like the combine is the same way if anybody get invited to the combine, um like the the interviews how teams can put you to the side at at any time and how you going to bed late and how you waking up early in the morning and how it's constantly like interviews and everything the interview like even if you're like you're on a hotel even if like you're in an elevator with somebody like it's like everybody's always watching and um. So they just always had that, like, in our ears, saying, like, how how the senior bowls. It was just like the combine. You just you just don't have that practice or or, or any means or any means or anything like that. So I guess it, I guess I'm kind of prepared, but you know, it could be a totally different thing. So I'm ready for whatever. <clears throat> okay. Well, they're right about this, like. They've got some, I won't name any names, but there's some teams that slip a few bucks to people at local establishments in the area because they know that you're always paying attention when they know that they're paying attention, right? So they know that you're prepared for how to act, you know, in meetings and how to act when you're, you know, interacting with your other guys in your position group. But they also want to know when you go out to eat, how do you act, right? So they've got, I'm just letting you know, there's some teams I'm going to let you know, there's some teams that slip a couple of bucks to managers or waitresses or whatever at establishments in the area. Hey, if you see a player, you know, blah, 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 you know, if he does such and such, if he's, a, you know, if he's rude, if he's a bad chipper, if he doesn't wash his hands leaving the bathroom, I don't know, I'm kidding, I hope about the last one. Uh, but, but, I mean, yes, 
that place is full of spies like Soviet Russia in 1964. So while you are, once you cross the city limits into Indianapolis, you are being watched by somebody. So if you are rude to one of the people, like, picking up um, your luggage at the airport, you know, somebody will hear about it. So, yeah, For sure. the whole thing, I'm back to that, the whole thing's an interview from beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, teams will grab you walking down the hall. Teams, teams will grab you when you're trying to tie your shoelace, when you're trying to listen to your music. But now, there are some rules about how late they can go and how late they can start. And most teams, most, are good about following those, those rules. There are teams, well, name any names once again, he's not on air, that uh, accidentally bump into you outside of the allowed hours for contact. So, you're allowed at that point to say, you know, hey, I'd love to talk to you, but it's now whatever hour, you know. <laughs> um, now, some people just won't say anything, but you're allowed to say, hey, you know, it's whatever time. I really do need to be asleep or whatever it is you, you need to be doing at that point. Uh, but, yes, in the old days, it was just a free-for-all. It was just nuts. I'm glad they actually finally put in some rules about how late teens can keep you because, Talk to some old timers. Talk to guys that went there in the eighties and nineties, and yeah, I mean, there were teams keeping guys up till, up, you know, two, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, which is just ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> so at least that's not going on now. And my, I guess my last question for you—not my last question, sorry—my second to last question for you, Mr. Sullivan. Um, you are going to have some teammates there. And you're also going to meet some dudes there. And maybe you even have some high school teammates. After, I can't remember where you went. To, where did you go to high school again, Steven? I went to Downsonville High. It's a small town. Um, no, I, I, I won't have no high school teammates there for sure. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, you, but you're going to see guys you've played with and against, right? A lot of a lot of guys are going to do that from LSU and guys from other places. Um, I hope that you all realize how special and rare an experience this is. You know, 337 players is less than one-tenth of one percent of the guys who, who are college starters at the Division I level. I mean, just to put it in perspective, uh, if you count FCS and FBS together, that's, you are literally the one percent of the one percent. I mean, you are like, I mean, it's, I don't know how best to explain to you how rare it is to get a combine invitation, right? And you were a guy that wasn't even a full-time starter for most of your career. Like, how crazy is that, right? Yeah. You talk about how crazy the Joe Burrow story is. Your story's pretty crazy, too. It's not like, I mean, no offense, but it's not like your name is sprinkled all throughout the LSU record book. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And, and yeah, like, I didn't have, I, I, like, coming out, like, the end of my senior year, man, like, I wasn't expecting a senior bowl invite. I wasn't expecting a combine invite. Like, my hopes was already, like, ready for pro day. Like, do whatever I got to do to get ready for pro day. And um, thank thank God that I got the, the senior bowl invite to where I can show some of my talent. But if it wasn't for the senior bowl, then I would just be probably just being getting ready for pro day or something like that because – like you said, like I wasn't the guy that was breaking all type of records or anything like that. You know, I was just 
getting a little sprinkle of here and there, you know. And um, yeah, it's 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 crazy how like just one week can really like almost change your life, you know. It did. Oh, it definitely changed. Your... All I do is talk to people who talk about football. That's what I do. I talk to scouts. I talk to cousins or whatever. And I'm going I'm to tell you straight up, you were being thought of as a, as a priority undrafted free agent. You're being thought of as a guy that people are going to, you know, do a nice little fight over you because people know you have physical skills. You're going to get a decent little signing bonus as an undrafted free agent. Now, you're probably going to get drafted somewhere day three, maybe even early day three. Um, I mean, I've heard fifth round from some people. That's not beyond the realm of possibility. And if you have the day you're talking about having at the, at the, at the combine, who knows? So, yeah, right. you go to the senior bowl, and you, I'll say this much. There are people who definitely doubted you as a blocker, and you showed something. I mean, you weren't devastating people, but you weren't getting embarrassed, right? You went, right. What was your mindset when you went into one-on-one, both in the you know, passing game and some of the stuff and blocking stuff, what was your mindset? Because you weren't one of the – you weren't an All-American. You, know, you weren't All-American. You weren't All-Conference. Uh, nope. You weren't one of those guys that everybody knew your name. Uh, what did you want to get accomplished when you did get to your ball? Um, one thing, I, I mean, me playing receiver, I knew for a fact that I was just so confident about in the passing game about, like, how the defensive end, like, and the linebackers couldn't cover me. But um, – I knew for a fact that what a lot of people wanted to see was me blocking, and um, I was I was kind of I was excited and ready for the one-on-one blocking mm-hmm. because I knew for a fact that no matter what, no matter what it was, no matter how I did it, I had to put somebody on their back and I had to pancake somebody. And um, shit, I mean that's I, I did it um one-on-one reps, and I did a pretty good job. So. Um, I knew for a fact that's what I had to do, and I knew for a fact that people wanted to see was I willing to block and do I have the potential to do it. And, and I really think that I showed that. I mean, like I said, there's always more room to on it, and I think I definitely need that. But um, that that right there was a start, I feel like. Yeah, well, it was it – was, for for whatever happened for the rest of your time as a football player, it was everything. It was everything. Because I saw, once again, I saw people talking, right? I saw people people double-checking. That's the thing you love. When a guy looks, wait, who, what? Like, they double-check, what, what's the name? What's the, and if you see, I mean, there was people, coaches, scouts, people who were like, who's that again? Right? Talking to each other. So you changed the whole trajectory of your football career with that week, you know, not even a whole week, really. I mean, it's, what is it, four real practices, right? And then, like, a walkthrough. Well, it's really, like, two. Well, that was the most important four practices of your life. (laughs) I guess. I guess you're right. It's two fully padded practices, right? Right, right, right. And then, like, one that's sort of, like, shelled, yeah. And then a walkthrough. <laughs> so yeah, it's not a lot, but it's it's a lot, right? I mean, a lot happened in that very short amount of time for you. So once again, congratulations. And a lot of people don't even get the opportunity, but when you get it, 
I give you credit for having done something with it. Uh, so I think that you will carry on some of that uh, same momentum. Like I said, if you please do, if you'll be getting a follow-up email, please let me know a little bit about your combine experiences. I'm going to ask you to sort of, I don't know, take note of everything that happens because I want to report in the uh, profile we're writing of you sort of what your experience is like and who you saw and what you saw and what it was like. It just because you're one of the unlikely stories, right? I mean, you really are one of the unlikely stories at the, at the, at the combine. Um, so this is my final question for all three of you, and I'll, I'll finish up with this. Um, I'm going to start with Brandy. Um, you've had, once again, one of those, I mean, all three of you have really intriguing stories. Like, it's, there's something to be learned from every single one of you. Brandy, when you talk to young cats, when you talk to the young guys, guys who want to get where you're going and want to do what you're, you've done, what would you tell them? Because, like I said, you—I mean—you've had some twists, some turns, some ups, some downs. What would you tell a young athlete about what the future holds and what they should do to get ready for it? Uh, uh for me, it was patience. Right, patience is just the biggest thing for me, and trusting process. I trusted that at the end, like. Like, I saw the end for myself, even though, like, you know, everything that I've been through, I saw, I knew what I wanted. So I knew that I wasn't going to stop until I got there. And I knew, like, I don't know, throughout the whole process, I just felt like something, like, this was bigger than me. So I felt like at the end, something was going to happen for me that allowed me to to keep playing. So, like, through all the transferring and all the, waiting and all that for some it was like for some reason I, I i keep getting the opportunity to play football so for some reason so so i gotta trust it just trust it and, and be patient and i felt like eventually it's gonna come full circle to where i get an opportunity to show that i can play and just believing in myself was another big thing because obviously like this is my dream to play football it's not like, you know, you, your parents may want you to do it and stuff like that, but when stuff starts happening, uh, you know, for them it's like, oh, well, I believe in you, but I, you, you still have to start making decisions after football. But for me it was like, like football is what I want to do, so I'm going to be patient right. and, and watch it come back around for myself, and it slowly has. So. I just trusted that at the like nobody's gonna give you your vision. So so what you see for yourself if is, is what you what you obviously out yeah. there you're chasing something. So that was for me that was just the biggest thing just to be patient and just have enough patience that to see it even if it don't come full circle to where I'm playing football at least I've seen it come to where I was able to do what I'm doing right now. Like not like. I'm probably one of the few friends, one of the few guys out of my friends that like, have actually made it this far. So it's like to be able to say I did this, it's just it's like it's a blessing at the end of the day. You're just grateful <laughs> yeah. for every opportunity. <laughs> so I think that's just the biggest thing for me. Well, I think that's worth mentioning that if you've managed – you have a college football career, right? That by itself is, an, is a huge accomplishment. 
because less than 3% of the guys who play high school ball manage to play college. So you've already made it through an enormous, you know, strainer, filter, whatever. And it's not always talent. Sometimes it's other stuff. They get in trouble. They don't have the grades. They you have to get a, you have to go get a job out of high school because their family is in a situation where they can't even afford to have them go to school, whatever. There's all kinds of things that happen. The point is that you navigated, made it through, survived. Uh, you should be very proud of yourself because a lot of people would not have kept going and kept pushing, and you did. And I think that well, I don't even know if the NFL works out for you. It'll be amazing and exciting. You may have to play up north. You may have to play arena. You may have to play XFL. But I think that no, wherever, wherever you land, I think you're going to find a place. I think your story isn't over yet. I think you're going to find a place to play. And I think you're willing to do that, be patient, knowing that maybe this gets me to that. Maybe this coach knows that coach. Maybe that's the last thing I'll when, Sort of the last thing is I, I, for those of you that really believe football is for you, you have to decide that that's the case. And even when everything else says no to you, and like I said, Raheem Mostert is the most recent great example of that. I mean, seven times getting cut. <laughs> you know how few people still keep thinking football is still for me when they get cut? Forget seven, like fourth. You but usually by the fourth time, people are like that's it. You know, time to put this degree to use. Uh, you know, but you get to seven times, seven times Raheem Mostert got cut. That's that's an amazing story. And so if you have that same sort of mindset, Brandy, where you refuse to take no for an answer, then eventually you're going to find success. And obviously, for you, Stephen, you've got this crazy story that you know, part-time starter to. You know, one of the guys getting buzzed the senior bowl to combine invitation and new Darius, a guy who was looking like he was about to be. I mean, they have a pretty decent quarterback tradition at Boston College. You know, the Hasselbecks, the Fluties, um, uh, Glenn, oh, my gosh, uh, played for the Jets for a little while. Uh, um, Mark, Brian St. Pierre. Um, uh, Oh, my gosh. I used to know all the Boston College quarterbacks for a while there. Now it's falling out of my brain. Oh, this is frustrating. But decent little, little run of quarterbacks uh, who at least, oh, I don't Glenn, Glenn, and I don't see Matthew. But there was a decent number of guys that came out of there. Uh, and it looked like you were going to be the next one. You had a nice blend of talents. You could move around a little bit. You weren't a runner-runner, but you could move around a little bit. A guy with a good arm. And, you know, things happened, as you pointed out. And you – you took advantage of a bunch of opportunities to put yourself in a bunch of different situations, and you are, if for some reason football isn't the thing, you seem well prepared for whatever the thing will be. Um, okay, my last question for all of you. I'll stick with Darius for a second. So, um, most of my listenership is male, but there are some ladies. Uh, for, for the ladies, what is your status, your situation? Do you have someone special? Are you looking for someone special? What's your situation? Uh, so currently I am single. Um, this is a situation where, uh, this is like I said previously, I mean, at this moment it's, it's very oh. vital to, it's very vital to uh, focus on really just making your dream become a reality. Um, I know in some instances they can say that girls can be distractions. And, I mean, I, I don't necessarily see it that way, but I just know that right now football and school uh, needs my undivided attention. Um, I know, um, like I said, I already put a lot on my plate. 
I'm currently taking six classes. Um, like I said, working out two to three times a day. Um, I go to our rec center, and that's a way for me pretty much for free to be able to do yoga, cycle, uh, Pilates, um, different things just so I can kind of work my body out in a different way that is sometimes not really possible on your own. Uh, so just doing things like that really just keeps me busy all throughout the day. And then because I'm still on scholarship and football's paying for it, decided to just learn something new. Uh, so I'm also in a aviation class because Bowling Green has an airport uh, right next to campus. Um, so I actually got to take my first flight and fly a plane for the first time on Wednesday. So I was just kind of learning different things and uh, now working towards getting my private pilot's license where now that's something I can have um, and possibly work off of later on in the future. So like I said, I'm just trying to just focus on just really improve, improving my, my whole self and just uh, preparing myself for the future um, for whatever it may hold. Okay. Well, if indeed you do have a military <clears throat> career in your future, um, they're going to obviously already know that you were a, a high-level athlete. Start preparing for how do I put this? Um, don't volunteer extra information. I don't know what people have told you about uh, being an athlete, sort of going into the military. Uh, I mean, obviously they're going to probably want you. I'm assuming you, you know, done you've done certain things at a very high level. You'll probably be very, you know, highly valued. But the army, the air force, the navy—they all put you through an extensive, extensive medical screening, um, and they will definitely have questions about your injuries. Tell them, mm -hmm. don't, don't lie, but don't give any extra information. That's my last piece of advice about, <laughs> about the possible military yes, career. Appreciate it. You know, so don't volunteer extra stuff. Tell them if they have the answer it. Be honest, but don't start, you know, just get extra. Yeah, that's yeah. Have you had any surgery? I mean, if you have surgery, you can't lie. Say, yeah, I've had surgery. Just don't let them know, you know, more than they ask. Okay. Okay, move on. What's the people talk more on there about, about how to get through your mess? Um, what else to tell you? Oh, ask you, yes. Oh, same question for you, Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Holmes. Uh, what is your situation? Uh, do you have a special lady or special person, a special anything, or what's your situation, your status? Uh, I'm single. Um, man, if I, if I have to find somebody during this process, I wouldn't really shy away from it, but yeah, I'm definitely single. All right. So, ladies, uh, Mr. Holmes is open to... Uh, he's hearing offers. So, uh, do you have a social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever that people use? Um, yeah, so mine is uh, Brandy Home. My Instagram is Brandy Home. On... Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Brandy Home's one. And do you also have uh, a Twitter account or anything like that? Yeah, so my Instagram is Brandy Holmes one, and then my Insta, uh, my Twitter is Brandy Holmes.
Okay, got it. Um, same question for you, Mr. Sullivan. Uh, what is your current status in terms of your, uh, you know, do you have someone walking through you in life yet? Uh, yeah, I got somebody with me, but um, we're really not, like, in a relationship, but, like, we're working towards it. Okay. Well, that's that's your side of the story, but uh, <laughs> uh, 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 we'll see. Uh, but I, first of all, congratulations to you and whoever this lady is. Because I know you think you might not be in a relationship. doesn't mean you aren't in a relationship. Uh, but, yes, yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. You and whoever that special young person is. Uh, and then what's your social media and your, um, you know, how can people find and follow your, your journey? Uh, my, my Instagram is sjs underscore 10 underscore. Um, and my Twitter is sjs underscore 10. Got it. Got it, got it. Okay, and I, I meant to ask you this as well before, Darius, but I'm asking you now. Uh, tell me, also, what, how, if you want to learn more about you, follow you, maybe someday send you their resumes, whatever, uh, what's your social media? How will people learn more about your uh, story and what you're doing and where you're headed? Uh, so my Instagram is dwade underscore four. And that is also my Twitter handle as well. Okay, got it. Well, I want to thank all of you, young men. Uh, for this is especially you, Darius. Good Lord, I don't know where you have time to do anything. Uh, so <laughs> I very much appreciate that you took this much time out to speak to me today. Uh, you will you will each be receiving emails. Uh, Darius, I guess you can have your secretary or whoever deal with it. Uh, but what I'm asking is that you please respond as soon as you are able with answers to the questionnaire. I have a photograph of yourself. If you've got one of yourself flying an airplane, that would be awesome. But whatever, you know, uh, one, I have one rather large man in a hot yoga photograph. I wasn't all ready for that completely. But whatever it is you send, uh, something that you feel represents yourself. And that together with the answers to the questions you provided will be used to create a profile about you on Nuts and Bolts Sports. In your case, um, like Darius and Brandy, once you have Pro Day, I'm going to ask for a Pro Day update, like who was there and uh, how you did and all that good stuff. And obviously in your case, Stephen, I'm going to want a combine update. Uh, if there's, school, uh, if there's uh, teams that you got a chance to meet with and once again, how you actually did how you felt, how you did, and all that good stuff. So I could also include that. Once again, young man, it's been a thrill, an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. You are all very impressive with amazing stories. Uh, I am blessed to meet so many young men. So thank you all for your time. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was, uh, like I said, a real, a real, it was an amazing experience. So please do check your email. If not, it'll be there today or possibly tomorrow. I will be receiving those emails. And once again, I just want to wish you all the best. You, you guys have all shown all the qualities that we talked about. How you know football can be applied to teach you lessons about life. You've all shown 
formation, you know, you've all shown creativity and you've all shown intelligence, you've all shown toughness, I mean, all the things. Um, and once again, preparation for when the opportunity does present itself, you've been able to teach them you and show them you can do something with it once you find it. So once again, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your talent. Thank you for your attention. Have a wonderful rest of your week and enjoy this grind, this experience. You are part of a very special few that can even undertake this. Sir, thank you. All right, thank you. So for all of those, uh, for all of you who have been with us as listeners throughout the years I've been doing this, I know I say this all the time. I'm just saying it again. This really is a special group of young men that I get a chance to get to know a little bit about. And some of them, you know, I form relationships with, and we talk years later, Greg Betterson and I still talk many years later. He's moving on from football after many years in the real league. Uh, some guys that football didn't work out, another in law enforcement. Uh, shout out to Wyatt Dyer, who is a uh, deputy sheriff in Earlier County. Uh, and some guys that did have football work out for them. Obviously, uh, for GM Atkins, football worked out fairly well. But no matter what you end up doing and no matter where you end up, uh, I know that you will be successful. So thank you all. Your, your Saturday, and like I said, this is a, a special time in your life. I hope you enjoy.